from 1983, Brian Adams this time. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. The date of the show is May 12th, 2014, a rare Monday show, and this will be our last episode until May 28th. And May 28th, the World Series will be already be underway. I will not have played in any events yet, but uh, some people will have by then. So this is our last show before the World Series officially begins. A 16-day hiatus between now and then, so please make a note of that. And hopefully not too much will happen while I am gone from the air. So welcome to this show, and we have a number of things to talk about tonight. So hopefully I will get through everything here. I will. I always get through everything. But I... Don't want to take too much time just spouting off nonsense at the beginning so we can get to all the topics and give all of them the treatment they deserve. Of course, if you want to get a hold of me during the show, there's a few ways to do so. First of all, you can call me. The two phone numbers are 775-372-8355, 775-372-8355, that's 775-FRAUD55. You can also... Called the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a big mountain that hangs over Las Vegas, about 45 minutes away by car. I don't know if there's still snow up there, but there, in, there is an old 70s rotary telephone sitting on top of Mount Charleston that does forward to wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. No matter which phone number you call, make sure to show your caller ID by dialing star 82 beforehand. Otherwise, you will not get through. Also, I want to let you know about the other ways to get a hold of me. You can text me at our main phone number, 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355 is our text number. Don't try to text the Mount Charleston line because you won't get through to that. That's an old phone. It does not take texts. I will read your texts during the show. So watch what you say. You can also text me before the show. You can text me after the show. You can text me during the show. And your text will get read on the air. 775-372-8355. You can also go into the chat room. If you go to PokerFraudAlert.com, go to near the top of the screen. You can click on the chat button. All you need is a free account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum to access the chat room. You also need a flash-enabled device, meaning it won't work on iPhones or iPads. So those are the way to get a hold of me during the show. If I don't answer you, whether it's through text or through the chat room or even phone calls, it means I'm probably busy doing something. I don't have a co-host tonight. So when I'm doing it by myself, it's hard for me to monitor the various ways to get a hold of me. Otherwise, there will be a big pause like what you just heard right there. Just be patient. And if I don't answer the phone, just try calling back in like 15 or 20 minutes. So... Let me tell you about the free roll we have tonight. We have $75 up for grabs, and this is 75 real U.S. dollars that you can receive any way you want. Any way you want. A check, cash, you can meet me at the World Series and get cash, a bank transfer, PayPal, which is preferred. If you win, then I will do one of those things to get the money to you. It's not one of those free rolls where you're stuck with money on a site where you really don't want it and may never be able to withdraw it. This is real money that you will get. People get money from me every week. It's totally free to enter. 
It's a free roll on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. That's the Poker Room attached to PokerFraudAlert.com. Go to the top of the screen, click on No Fraud Online Poker. You need a separate account over there, but it's totally free. Don't worry. You don't even need play chips. Just register and make sure you are registered by 7.10 Pacific Time, 18 minutes from now. Otherwise, you cannot play in the tournament. This week, the tournament is No Limit Hold'em. The prize pool is $75. And here's how the prize pool breaks down. First place will get 35 bucks. Second place will get 20 bucks. Third place will get 12 And fourth will get 8 The money did not come from me. It came from our generous listeners and users of PokerFraudAlert.com. This week we got it from four people, none of whom are regular donors. Four people who only contribute occasionally, and for some of them is the first time. The four people who gave money here were Yup, that was $15, Hurdle King, who gave $10, Steve-O, also known as Steve Ruddock, he's a poker writer, you can check out some of his stuff, Steve-O gave $25, and Merciless Ming, who's a newer user on PokerFraudAlert.com, also gave $25. Thank you to all four of you for giving this money, and that's how our free roll is funded. Poker Fraud Alert has given away more money in our free rolls than any poker podcast or radio show in the world. It's true. You can look it up. Thousands of dollars have been given away. 75 of it is this week. So here are our topics for tonight. And by the way, make sure to get to that free roll. Get registered by 710. There's no late registration. Oh, and of course, if you want to win the free money, you have to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before. If you do not, if your account on Poker Fraud Alert's forum is after June 1st or you don't even have one, then you have to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff, all one word, at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me that you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks. And the way you do that is by telling me things you've heard that are not in the show description. Somebody asked, what if I haven't been listening for three weeks, but I listened to three episodes all in one day yesterday? Is that okay? Yes. As long as you've heard three weeks worth of episodes and can convince me you have, then I will give you an exception to qualify now and forever for the free money in these free rolls. Last week, we had a guy who, one, actually did a chop, who actually did not qualify. And while I appreciate him as a listener, and I hope he listens more so in the future weeks he can qualify, he did not qualify for the money, so I had to move everybody up one notch to where everybody got paid more than they expected. So kind of uh, an early, early Christmas for those people. Here are the topics for this week. Last week we spent a lot of time talking about the very likely scam known as PokerApproved.com, supposedly a staking outfit, supposedly a company that puts on lavish large tournaments, including the Super Millions for $1.2 million buy-in. It's all BS. It's all smoke and mirrors. We talked about it last week. Well, I found out more since doing the show last week. Last week's show was listened to by a number of people in poker including some big names in poker and in the poker media. In addition, some people heard about the show and heard about the things I've been talking about and read the topics on my forum. And a lot of people got talking about it, including two main event champions who were also attempted victims of this scam. They're talking about it because 
in part of the attention that is being brought to this matter by PokerFraudAlert.com and only PokerFraudAlert.com. Aside from a few people on Twitter who originally uh, brought this to my attention. Don't want to minimize what they did. One of those people was Anna Kate, who was on the show last week. And uh, I still feel bad about her phone bill. Because <laughs> she was on from Canada and didn't have a Canadian phone plan. So she paid a high per minute charge to be on here and listen to me talk. But I appreciate the interview. Anyway, going to have some updates on Poker Approved, including the World Series of Poker main event winners who are affected by this. And I'm going to read some emails from a 2013 attempted victim of Poker Approved, including the threats he was subject to. Plus some more updates on the situation in general. Now, if you're tired of the Poker Approved story already, don't fret because I'm not going to spend hours on this one this time. Uh, I'm just going to give you updates as to what's going on with it. I'm not going to go into the whole thing again. If you want to hear that, then listen to last week's show in the archives. Two stories this week about Guy La Liberté. He's the owner of Cirque du Soleil, obviously a very rich guy, a probably a multi-billionaire. But he claims that the Red Pros on Full Tilt, I'm talking about the old Full Tilt, not the current one owned by PokerStars, but the Red Pros on old Full Tilt, pre-Black Friday, cheated him. He was the biggest loser on Full Tilt. He lost millions and millions of dollars. He kept switching accounts, and he'd lose tons more on each account. Like, millions of dollars on each account would get lost. I even saw one account that it was tracked to have lost over $10 million, and that was just one of his accounts. So this guy just dumped money to Full Tilt. Obviously, the pros on there loved it. But he's claiming now that he got cheated. We will analyze those claims. It was a very curious case of a tournament that occurred in uh, New Jersey on Party Poker. This is a tournament where I'll say they had a pretty steep prize payout structure. What percentage do you think they paid out? You think they paid out 10%, 8 percent, 5%? 5% would be a pretty steep structure to where most people don't get paid. No. They actually paid about... Uh, one and a half percent of the people entering the tournament. So that is uh, pretty steep. Two out of 149 people got paid, and they insist that they meant to do it, but I don't think so. We're going to talk about what happened there. Well, another chip scandal in the making. Remember Christian Lusardi, who snuck chips into the Borgata? and wreaked havoc upon that tournament there, and then flushed him down the toilet and got caught. Then there were some other idiots who also got caught with uh, chip-related offenses, including uh, that one guy who took a chip as a souvenir at the end after he won, who may or may not have been really taking it as a souvenir or maybe to use it in future events. Well, we have another chip scandal at a live tournament. A player at the Chicago Poker Classic, who was the then-chip leader was found with $6,000 in tournament chips, not in his pocket, not in the palm of his hands, but up his sleeve? (laughs) Yeah. He actually had 
6K of tournament chips up his sleeve, and he was disqualified and banned from all Caesars properties. But uh, was this really a clever, big-sleeved thief, or was this an accident? We'll talk about this very weird case that just occurred in Chicago. The million-dollar one-drop tournament, I said we have a second story about Guy Liberté. That's his tournament, pretty much. Uh, One-drop is a drinking water-related charity that Gila Liberté is in charge of. And rather than just donate millions of dollars to that charity, Guy actually makes a poker tournament out of it, which is pretty smart. So he backs a lot of different pros to enter this million-dollar tournament, which otherwise they could not afford. I'm going to give you a list of all the people entering, and we're going to discuss two particular people who just entered, who've just uh, bought in and are confirmed for the million-dollar one-drop tournament at the World Series. Vanessa Selbst, who isn't that big of a surprise, but she's the first female to ever play that event. And Jean-Robert Balland? Wow. Broke-living JRB, as he's known on Twitter, is apparently not too broke he is entering the one drop. It's not a joke. It's not a level. It's not an April Fool's gag a bit late. He's really playing. He's confirmed by the World Series. You have to say, well, Guy obviously is putting him in to add some color to the tournament, to add a character there, to make it more exciting and fun. But I don't think so. I don't think Guy is putting him in. So how is broke living JRB getting into a million-dollar tournament? I will tell you what I think later in the show. Poker Stars has gotten approved for a patent. They have patented Zoom Poker, which is the fast fold poker version on their site. It's similar to Rush Poker on Full Tilt and many other fast fold variants of poker. It's basically where as soon as you fold your hand, instead of having to wait for the hand to complete, you get moved to another table with another hand immediately. So it's for people who don't want to sit around and wait between hands. PokerStars got a patent on that. You may say, ah, who cares? Boring. I don't hear about patents. Well, you might, because this patent might have very, very bad implications for the U.S. legalized online poker market. And I will explain. I think it's a very bad thing they got this patent, and it's unfair that they got it. I will explain. I got a phone call from the Wall Street Journal. Usually when I get contacted by a major media organization like the Wall Street Journal, they want to ask me about UB. That's what everyone wants to talk about with me. That's what 60 Minutes called about back in 2008. That's what CNBC called about in 2009. That is what the company producing the Blu-ray Extra for the movie Runner Runner called me about in 2013. But no, this one was not about UB. Of all things, the Wall Street Journal wanted to talk to me about Dan Bilzerian, of all people. So I'll tell you what they asked me and what I said. Finally, I have an editorial. Many forms of poker, I feel, are now unbeatable. When I say forms, I don't mean different games. I'm not going to say Hold'em's beatable and Stud isn't or open Face Chinese isn't. I'm talking about limits, types of tournaments, things like that. I'm going to tell you what I believe is beatable, if you have the skill, and what isn't, no matter how good you are. 
and what might be slightly beatable, but probably not. So listen closely because it might be something that you play and think that you have a future in perhaps making a living at it. So that's our agenda for tonight. Free roll starts in six minutes. We also might have a bonus topping, and that is Jeff Madsen has agreed to be on the show tonight, but the reason I haven't been promoting it very much is that he is in a tournament right now. And if the tournament, I I guess if he gets knocked out of it or whatever, then he'll call in. Otherwise, we'll have to have him on another day. But he has agreed to come on, which is good. And I decided to try to get him on here because... Sorry, I just got... uh, Distracted here. Someone texted me. They can't hear this show. I'm like, uh oh, uh oh. Have I been talking to myself? But apparently, it's just uh, one guy. But anyway, Jeff Madsen, uh, if he is available, will be on the show. And if he's not, then we'll have him on another week. I, I decided to ask him because I really have just not been asking people to get on the show. And that's why we haven't had many guests. I just haven't had the motivation to get guests on here. It's not that they've all been turning me down. Some have been turning me down. Not because they don't like me, but because a lot of them are afraid to talk about the subjects I want to talk about. They're afraid that it's going to bring up some legal liability or it's going to make them look bad or people are going to hate them, blah, blah, blah. You guys know I don't care about things like that. I, I just say what I want to say and I don't really care who I pissed off. But you know, a lot of people in poker, they, they're afraid of burning whatever bridges they have, and I understand that. But uh, last week we had Anna Kate on, which is the first, ga- first guest we had on in a long time. And I said, you know what? Why not get somebody else associated with this whole poker-approved scandal? And when I say associated, I don't mean he committed anything, any crime or anything. Uh, he was one of the victims. But uh, Jeff Madsen, he was a big part of this. And I said, let's get him on. He's interesting anyway. I've always thought he was interesting anyway. So... If we have him on tonight, we're going to talk about both what Poker Approved tried to do to him. We're not successful, but they tried. And just uh, about his poker career and his bracelet win last year. And the reason he's an interesting story is that he exploded onto the scene in 2006 with two bracelet wins and two third-place finishes. He basically took what I did in 2005 and doubled it. I had a first and a third in my first two World Series of Poker tournaments ever. Now, he didn't beat that because he bricked a few in between, but in that World Series, he had two firsts and two thirds. It was amazing. But after that, he struggled. And for some years after that, he really struggled. And last year, he showed some signs of life again and won a bracelet and since then has just been doing much better. So... It's an interesting story to hear about how you go from a nobody to just a big name that everyone thinks is the next huge thing in poker to struggling for years and then having triumph again. It's an interesting story. So if he comes on, we're going to talk about that and uh, poker approved. Normally, I don't like to just bring on tournament winners or bracelet winners. It's kind of boring. You guys know people win tournaments every day. There's no point to bring them on here. What am I going to ask them? So, how does it feel to win a million dollars? Uh, good? Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, enjoy it. Like, that's boring stuff. 
Every time they have a tournament, someone's going to win, unless it happens to be the Borgata tournament. But someone's going to win, so does it really matter who it is? It matters to me if it's me, but you know, as far as if it's not me, I don't really care who wins. But I think Jeff Matson is an interesting story. And he was a good guest when we had him on a different show that I was once part of. But we'll see. I don't want to get your hopes up because he may not be able to come on. But if he is not able to, we'll try to give him, get him on here in a future week. So let me uh, break on out into the first topic here. Free roll starting in one minute. If you're not registered yet, I don't think you will be. I want to give you guys an update on Poker Approved. Poker Approved, I'm not going to go into the whole story again this week. But from all appearances, Poker Approved seems to be a scam. Poker Approved claims that they will stake pro poker players up to $6 million. They also claim that they will hold all of these big buy-in exciting tournaments with all sorts of side prizes such as uh, flying in a fighter jet and uh, having ringside seats at a boxing match and stuff like that. Having parties before and after the tournaments. It's like they want to put on tournaments that aren't just tournaments. Tournaments that are actually events in themselves. Before, after, and during. They also claim they have millions of dollars to stake players all over the place. Las Vegas, LA, Macau, Europe. Sounds like a sweet thing for poker players. Unfortunately, it's all not real. It's all pretty much the imagination of one very strange guy in Canada named either Sergio Guimond or Giles Guimond. I can't figure out which of those two is his real name or if maybe Giles is actually Sergio's father. So it's either Sergio or Giles Guimond, who's the one behind poker approved, and that's pretty much confirmed. And then there's one other person who seems to be involved, and that's Gabriella Hill, who's a kind of wannabe broadcaster type of person. She's gotten a few jobs. She did the ESPN... World Series of Poker in the Latin American country. She announced those tables in Spanish. And she's had other odd jobs here and there, but she's basically been looking for work. And in fact, I happened to stumble upon something else today when I was researching a different topic. I found that Gabrielle Hill was actually applying to be the next Poker News presenter. Remember when uh, Seriously Serious' girlfriend applied for that and uh, Seriously Serious thought she might have gotten screwed? Um... The winner of that contest was Gabriella Hill. So that shows you this is not some big, famous poker media type. Not another Shauna Hyatt or something. This is someone who's really always looking for work, always looking for whatever odd jobs could pay them. Anyway, she appears to be very much involved in poker approved as well and will not talk about it. I got more information about that too. But those are the only two people involved. And to be fair to Gabriella, almost all of the contact that Poker Approved has had with people has been Sergio slash Giles, not Gabriella. I'm not even sure what her role was or is, other than that she's very involved in it. 
So it's pretty much all air. It's pretty much the imagination of one guy who likes to pretend that it's a, a huge company and a private equity firm backs it and put all the money into it and they have all this money to give away. And basically what he's trying to do is actually get things set up by making people in poker believe that his organization is reputable. And he's hoping that nobody will check into it. He's hoping that they'll all just take his word for it, that they really are a big company backed by a private equity firm and that they have all these high rollers waiting to play their tournaments, etc., etc. He's hoping that he will get cooperation from the poker media, from casinos, from players, from investors, and somehow it will all magically come together and he'll have these big tournaments, these big events, and he will reap all the benefits from it. So I don't think he's out there to scam people and just take their money and run. I think he's really trying to make these things happen, but he's lying to people about the circumstances of his company, about the liquidity of his, his the liquidity of his company, of the buying power of his company, of the investment status of his company. Pretty much lies about everything to try to make real events happen, which is obviously very wrong and obviously is a scam and obviously is a form of fraud. So I don't toss around these accusations lightly, but I will read to you some of the emails I got regarding Poker Approved since last week to solidify the points I've been making here last week and this week. So last week, Poker Approved came to my attention because of uh, a lot of controversy that was coming up because of threats they had been making to a young girl in poker named Anna Kate. They had originally contacted Anna Kate to be a host of one of their supposed tournaments at the Mirage, except when Anna contacted the Mirage, it turned out that there was no tournament going on there, that they lied to her. So she warned her friends in poker, hey, stay away from these guys, they're a bunch of liars. And at that point, she got threats from them. She got legal threats that they were going to sue her for doing this, and also a very cryptic threat that sounds more than a legal threat, sounds more like a physical threat. Don't worry, Anna. We'll come back to collect on our debts later. This person at Poker Approved, probably this Sergio guy, also threatened her friend Chris Baud by posting where he lives, telling him his zip code and then his city, and saying that our guys work fast on tracking and keep in mind, they were only tracking Chris Baud because he criticized them. So how do you like that? You criticize a company and they're, they're telling you they're tracking you down. And uh, they tell a girl they're going to come to collect, their, collect on their debts later from her for criticizing them. Pretty scary stuff. So uh, obviously, this is a very shady operation. Not professional at all. Uh, they pretend to have 89 employees from what they tell people, they have this jobs page where they claim they're hiring people for all these different positions, like 16 different positions where one of them pays $500,000 a year. It's all a bunch of air. It's all a bunch of air. So we talked about all that last week, but here's the new stuff this week. Here's the stuff that has happened since last week with Poker Approved. First of all, BJ Nemeth B.J. Nemeth is a longtime poker reporter. He's worked for 
a number of different poker media companies and for himself. He's very well known. He's respected. He's been around forever. He's a reliable guy. Everyone knows BJ Nemeth to be a reliable guy. He's not one who makes up BS. He's not one who says things just to get a reaction or to get attention. This is someone who, when he says something, you can pretty much believe it. So BJ Nemeth sent me an email that Sergio Guimond had sent to him attempting to hire him for the Super Millions. Now, what is the Super Millions? The Super Millions is uh, another product of Sergio's imagination. It's a $1.2 million buy-in tournament that he's been trying to get off the ground. He doesn't have anybody who has put up that sort of money to play it, but he claims he does. He claims he has all these billionaires and businessmen who are all ready to play the Super Millions. He just needs a place to hold it. So he claims that you know the Super Millions is well underway to actually getting going. In fact, that's why he contacted Anna Kate in the first place, was to get her to be involved with the Super Millions and host that. And then it turned into her also hosting this event at the Mirage, which didn't really exist, and then everything blew up. So this is what he wrote to BJ Nemeth in email on April 13th, 2014, which is just a month ago. Now, before you panic when I read this email, I didn't hack B.J. Nemeth's email, or Sergio's email for that matter. Uh, B.J. Nemeth forwarded this email to me and gave me permission to post it. Uh, I'm somebody who does not bite the informational hand that feeds me. If you send me a tip, if you send me an email, you send me anything and say, don't mention such and such or don't post this, then I won't. I will never betray your trust. So B.J. gave me permission to post this. And to read this on the radio show. This is what Sergio wrote to him on April 13th. Hey BJ, thank you for elaborating on your schedule and time horizons. The super high roller event that we would need you for would not overlap with any of those mentioned timelines, so that's a good start. The event that we are producing is a big one. It will be a $50 million guarantee with hopes of hitting our magic number of a $100 million prize pool. (laughs) He really wrote that The buy-in is 1.2 million So it caters to a very small but special field of poker players And the rich, wealthy businessmen slash clientele We plan on televising the tournament And we would be producing the event itself And pay for all productions Not a small endeavor, let me tell you We plan on bringing the best individuals on board To create the best production team For our SHR Super Millions Poker Championship event. I don't see a SHR. I guess it's Super High Roller. Uh, Super Millions Poker Championship event. The event will be produced in the Caribbean, and the event will last approximately six days with other fun TV stuff going on and fun challenges for the poker players and billionaires. I mean, this sounds like a reality show. Uh, We plan on making this a very high-end poker tournament, but one with a fun-filled atmosphere with great stories and entertainment for TV purposes. You can see what a dreamer this guy is, the Sergio. Not 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 a good type of dreamer, but like a, a dreamer who just comes up with these fantasies and then lies to everyone to try to make them reality. So we would need you for a minimum of six full days of event work plus at least two travel days. What services do you think you would like to offer in a tournament of this magnitude and so that I have a better idea of what kind of involvement you would like to have or offer to us? Let me know. Cheers, Sergio. Now... 
At this point, BJ really believed this is a real job. He had not heard anything shady yet about the Super Millions. He's thinking, look, look, this is very detailed. They're telling him it's going to be in the Caribbean. It's going to be six days. He's going to need two travel days. There's going to be uh, television coverage of this tournament. It sounds very, very detailed where you can't imagine why someone would ever lie, especially a guy like BJ Nemeth. Like, who's going to email BJ Nemeth and say, hey, I want to hire you and not actually be telling the truth? Like, it's absurd. Like, you, you don't hire some kind of behind-the-scenes poker media guy, which is what BJ Nemeth is. He's a respected guy. He's been around forever, but he's not a huge name. Like, nobody's going to go flock to this tournament because BJ Nemeth is reporting on it. So who would ever hire a behind-the-scenes type reporter like BJ Nemeth if it's not real? It's just so weird and surreal, (laughs) this whole thing. Uh, But it turned out that's what was happening. Uh, Sergio wanted it to be real and he was putting the pieces together to hope that it is real but it wasn't well BJ didn't know this at the time and I don't blame him so he negotiated what they're going to pay him and he said that he negotiated a quote fairly generous rate for his services he didn't tell me what that rate was but something that was fairly high that definitely made it worth his while and Sergio said oh yeah sure we'll pay you that no problem But it never got past that stage because uh, when all that stuff with Anna went down recently, you know, like last week, uh, BJ backed out of it saying, I want nothing more to do with this. This is obviously BS. And that's why he also forwarded me that email because he knows that Sergio was not being honest with him either. So it wasn't just a $1.2 million tournament. It had a $50 million guarantee, which is ridiculous. Let me... Read something else. Another email from Sergio that was forwarded on to me. This one was from a regular listener of Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Someone you may not picture listening to this show, but he does. He tells me he listens every week. In fact, I played a World Series event with him two years ago, and he told me at the table, hey, I like your show, I listen every week, and I was... Very flattered. That's the highly respected poker pro, Matt Glantz. So hello to you, Matt. If you're listening live or in the archives, whatever. Hello. And thank you for sending me this email. Again, giving me permission to post it. Now, he did ask that I don't name the casino, and I'm not going to. Not that it's a big secret, and you could probably figure it out, but uh, just because, you know, he doesn't want to get them directly involved in this since they had no fault in the matter and he especially doesn't want it appearing in any kind of Google search so uh, even if you know what I'm talking about here please don't post it anywhere but anyway um, Matt is associated with a certain casino and Sergio sent an email to the director of poker operations there now Matt's not the director of poker operations he just uh, has some association with that casino But uh, Matt was in on all the emails as well and actually talked to Sergio. So Sergio was attempting to put together a $3,500 buy-in tournament at this casino, and this is about a year ago. This is what he wrote. This is on April 9th, 2013. So again, this is a year ago, not 2014. By the way, I got a question from Chris Baud, who's listening right now, if I ever got any response from Sergio. No, no. He, he didn't respond to me, and I don't think he ever will. We'll talk about that shortly, of why I think Sergio is completely ignoring me. 
But uh, anyway, this uh, director of poker operations got the following email from Sergio 13 months ago. Hi, I wanted to reach out and see if you would have any interest in having us produce and a feature sponsored table at your casino sponsored by poker approved in the sponsored tournament. We would propose doing a $3,500 buy-in event in which poker approved would like to add, get ready, (laughs) (laughs) $250,000. So it's one thing to propose, Hey, you know, how do you like to hold this $3,500 tournament in your casino? That's fairly standard, but Poker approved is supposedly going to add $250,000 to whatever gets bought in there. Uh, So we'd like to add a $250,000 tournament bankroll that would be won by a player and would also add a feature bonus grand prize to be won as well from a listing of seven grand prizes to choose from. So basically it's a regular $3,500 tournament, but uh, they're adding this $250,000 staking package by poker approved. So they're not giving the person $250,000 cash, but they they're giving them this staking package and uh they get a bonus grand prize of one of the following. And listen to how detailed. Listen to how this guy thought all this through. This guy like sat there in his little house there in Merrickville, Ontario, Canada and like invented all this in his head. Like you can tell he really 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 wishes this could really happen and he could be at the helm in charge of the whole thing. Our seven grand prizes that a player may select from are the following. One, NASCAR Daytona 500, which includes two Sprint Tower tickets, exclusive fan zone passes for two, round-trip airfare for two, hotel accommodations for two, deluxe transfers to and from Daytona International Speedway, gift bag, and official Daytona 500 race program. (laughs) It's not enough to just say... We're going to give them a Daytona 500 package where they get to fly out there and watch it. They have to... I mean, this, that's very detailed. Wow. Then, also in the car racing theme, number two, Indianapolis 500, which includes two tickets in paddock or C-stand seating, round-trip airfare for two, hotel accommodations for three nights, deluxe transfers to and from Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Indy 500 victory dinner, souvenirs including Indy 500 race program and gift. Three, Super Bowl, uh, it's, what is it? Looks like 48. I'm trying to read the Roman numerals here. I used to be better at this. Like when I was four years old, I was good at reading Roman numerals. I was all proud of myself. Now I can't do it. XLVIII, I guess that is 48, which includes two Super Bowl 48 premium tickets, round trip airfare for two, hotel accommodation for two nights. Four, Adrenaline Rush Dream Car Racing. You can tell this guy likes cars, uh, which includes choice of five dream cars to race from, including Lamborghini, Ferrari, Porsche, McLaren, Aston Martin, plus more on Las Vegas Motor Speedway for one person, five laps to race in each five cars for a total of 25 laps, driver instruction, racing certificate, round-trip airfare for two, hotel accommodations for two, limousine service to and from the airport, and to and from Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Again, super detailed. Number five, luxury villa mansion for one week during the World Series which includes a luxury villa or mansion for one week during World Series of Poker season in Las Vegas, round-trip airfare and ground transfers. 
Six, king and queen's royal treatment, which includes five-star hotel for three nights in Las Vegas, any Cirque du Soleil show for two people with preferred seating, five-star dining for one evening, spot package for two, round-trip airfare for two, limousine service for airport transfers in Las Vegas. And number seven, in case none of that appeals to you, a dream cruise on Royal Caribbean. He even picks the cruise line. Like, it can't just be dream cruise. It's dream cruise on Royal Caribbean which includes seven nights Caribbean dream cruise for two persons aboard Royal Caribbean cruise lines in a superior room with private balcony, round trip airfare for two, ground transfers to and from the port, all meals including daily breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you get to pick one of those in addition to the $250,000 tournament bankroll, which is added by poker approved. That's not from the $3,500 buy-ins. It's not taken out of the prize pool. The $250,000 tournament bankroll that Poker Approved would put up for grabs would be applicable to tournament entries in our upcoming high-stakes poker championship series scheduled for Punta Cana, Dominican Republic with buy-ins for 25K to 100K levels. Note this is an exclusive high-roller tournament series. And then he directs you to the website. Then also, 10 bounty seats added to win the $250,000 bankroll plus the grand prize. Any player could play to win the $250,000 bankroll and the bonus grand prize by winning a bankroll grand prize bounty chip from one of our one of 10 poker-approved designated players in the tournament in which that bounty would allow them to play at the end of the tournament on a 10-player table where one player, the winner of the 10-player table, walks away with a $250,000 bankroll and grand prize. So, so basically, uh, that's what they're doing. They're not giving the two hundred fifty k bankroll and the big prize to the winner of the tournament it goes to one of 10 people who knock out these uh, people who are bounty players on behalf of poker approve i truly believe that both the two hundred fifty thousand dollar added tournament bankroll and the bonus grand prize added for players to win would create a great value add-on component to our proposed tournament for your poker room please reviews our proposed tournament uh, sponsor tournament for your poker room and let me know of any interest you may have in discussing further for immediate contact, I may be reached out. He gave his phone number, the same one that he always uses. Look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you, Sergio Guimond. And that was interesting because uh, it's the first email I've ever seen from Sergio where he uses his full name. Otherwise, it's always just Sergio. But here he put Sergio Guimond. This is uh, 13 months ago. Well, um, as you can imagine, the poker director there at that casino was blown away by this. He didn't know what to think. He even said in an email to Matt, hey, I don't really understand this, and I don't blame him. I mean, this is this is just kind of weird. But, so he's asking Matt Glantz, what do you think? I trust your opinion. You know, should we do this? I mean, this sounds pretty good, but it's weird. So, Matt said, you know what? Let's talk to this guy. Let's have a conference call with him, you, me, and him, and let's figure out what's going on with this. Is he really going to add this money? Uh, What's with these prizes? Is this guy reliable? Let's let's talk to him and get a feel for this. So they all got on the phone with him. This is, again, last year, shortly after this email. And after an hour on the phone, the agreement between the three of them was that this tournament would be held at this particular casino, as described, if poker approved would escrow all of those cash prizes. <laughs> I'm not laughing at uh, Matt Glantz and the poker director. I'm laughing at it actually being escrowed. So basically, they were wise to this. They're saying, look, you know, this all sounds great, 
but we don't want to be left holding the bag if you don't actually deliver on these prizes and the 250k bankroll. So if you escrow that cash, and if you escrow that prize somewhere with a trusted third party or deposit it into our cage, then we will hold this tournament. If you cannot escrow this stuff, it's not going to happen. So Sergio said, oh, oh, yeah, sure, I'll escrow. Well, they never heard from him again. He just uh, disappeared. The reason he disappeared is because he realized he had hit a brick wall because he doesn't have any money. He has no money to escrow. He can't escrow these prizes. He, he has nothing. So if this tournament could only take place if they would escrow, then he had nothing to put there and he had to just move on and try to find another unsuspecting victim. Now, what's interesting here is that this is from Matt Glantz, who listened to this show and became aware of this, of my discussion of Poker Approved, wanted to contribute to the subject, which I appreciate. But I will say that we don't have all that many people listening to this show who are managing or involved with people who manage poker rooms around the U.S. So I have to imagine this is not the only one that got a contact like this. We know the Mirage got a contact. We know the Wynn did. We know the Ravel did because uh, Sergio was bragging about how they were going to be holding his tournament. So I assume he contacted them too. But now we have this casino, which I'm not going to name. And I have to imagine a lot of different casinos must have been contacted by Sergio. And so far, he has not yet found a sucker. Because yeah, they're wise to this. They're not going to let some weird Canadian come out of the blue and say, hey, we're going to add all this extra money to the tournament and then just trust him to do it. Because they know if this guy does not come through with what he's promising, then they're going to be on the hook for it. In addition to this email from Matt Glantz, in addition to the email I got from BJ Nemeth, I got some emails from an individual who's not very well known. His name is James. I have his last name too, but I'm not going to say it. It doesn't really matter. You, I'm sure you never would have heard of him. He's just... Uh, a casual poker player. He's not even a poker pro. He's just a poker player who enjoys the game of poker, who would like to get a start in being a poker pro. But like many people, he doesn't have the bankroll to start off. And that's fine. You know, a lot of people are in that position. So James was very excited when he first read about Poker Approved. I don't know how he found their website, but he found their website in July 2013. And he completed the application to be staked by Poker Approved, again, believing that as a non-pro player, he'd be staked anywhere from 10K to 250K, which would have been great for him. And they didn't immediately respond, so he wanted to make sure that uh, they actually got his application. So he submitted the following in the contact form, which he actually saved. James wrote, hey, really don't mean to bother. Just want to make sure my email went through. I'm 100% confident in my skill level and believe I would be a perfect candidate. My dream is to be a professional poker player, but I've never had the right opportunity. Need some help, please. I can be reached via email or you can call me at, and he gave his phone number. So that was from James, two poker approved, really believing they were legit and they were going to stake people. So he figured, hey, might as well take a shot at this. Maybe they'll stake me. About eight hours later, he got a email back from Michelle at Poker Approved. 
I'm pretty convinced Michelle is a fictitious person. It's probably really Sergio. Maybe it was Gabriella, but probably Sergio. But, quote, Michelle at Poker Approved eight hours later responded as with the following to uh, James. James, we did receive your bankroll application, and our poker analysts will review your application for bankroll funding purposes. <laughs> now, you may laugh, but uh, James at this point thought they were serious. You know, why shouldn't he? They looked legit on their website. They claimed to be staking people for up to $6 million. They claimed to be holding these big tournaments. You know, why not think they're legit? And by the way, if you Googled poker, poker Approved prior to what I put up about them on Poker Fraud Alert, there was really just about nothing on the web about them that was criticizing them. There was one, like, three-post, very short thread on 2 Plus 2, like, hey, anyone ever heard of this? No, I haven't. It's probably a scam. Oh, okay. And that was it. Like, really, there has been no advanced discussion or any kind of real discussion of Poker Approved, even though they've been around for four years, until now. They've really flown under the radar. So James, and this is, again, in July 2013, uh, he was... At this point, very excited and wrote back a few minutes later, expressing continued interest in being staked. He said, oh, great. Thank you so much for the response. Figure I'm going to need the evaluation because of the lack of documented history. So is there anything else I can or need to do? Really appreciate it. Have a great week. The evaluation he's talking about is on the poker approved website. It says that in order to get staked, you probably need to get evaluated by one of their staff where they watch you play. And you have to pay them to evaluate you, which is very, very shady. That is not how staking works. No one involved in staking ever charges their potential stakees to be evaluated. You have to do that yourself at your own time and expense. It's like you don't ever charge people to interview them for a job when you're hiring. You know, you you just interview them at your own time and expense. You don't ever charge applicants to come in and interview with you. It's ridiculous. So um, James at this point actually... He didn't know how much it would be. He just thought it was, quote, a nominal fee. So he's saying, hey, I, you probably have to evaluate me because nobody knows who I am and I'm not a known person in poker, but um, let me know what I need to do. So he was probably picturing, you know, they're going to charge him 100 bucks or something. Well, then what happened was Sergio called him. Sergio called him, and this is the description from James as to what occurred on that phone call. We spent a total of three hours on the phone. Can you imagine three hours on the phone for a, a, a multi-million dollar company that just wants to stake some recreational player? Originally, he said it would be $2,500 for the evaluation. <laughs> wow. I heard a thousand. He wanted to charge James twenty five hundred, probably suspecting the guy was a sucker. And when James explained that he was looking for a stake, and that you know if he had twenty five hundred bucks that uh, he'd stake himself, that amount was totally out of the question. Uh, so then Sergio is like, "Oh crap! I'm I'm aiming too high. I'm trying to squeeze too much out of this guy. This guy is pretty much broke." So Sergio said, "You know what? Give me a moment. I'll call you back." So. Sergio went away for 10 minutes, probably just to pretend like he's looking into something. 10 minutes later, he calls back to James and says that he has another prospective applicant in Miami. And by the way, uh, the Miami area is where James lives. And that he could reduce it to 
1,500 because there was already another applicant in his area, and therefore uh, it wouldn't cost them as much to go down there to evaluate James you know, with somebody else to evaluate too. <laughs> so basically, uh, he's now discounting it from 2,500 to 1,500 because of this, quote, other applicant that somehow he realized exists in the last 10 minutes. Uh, then James wrote to me, it just got weirder and weirder. And he told me that after he said he couldn't pay 1500 that finally Sergio lowered it to 750 So basically, Sergio was just trying to get out of this poor guy whatever he could. First, he tried 2500 It was a failure. Tried 1500 James still could not pay that. And so he went down to 750 He probably would have gone down to 300 if he had to. So James said, okay, I'll do it. But James kind of felt like something isn't right. Kind of felt something was not right here. So James thought about it. And by the way, he said that on that phone call that Sergio does actually know a lot about poker strategy. He said they had a long time talking about poker strategy. So this is not uh, somebody who knows nothing about poker. It seems to be a poker player. However, I could not find any poker results for... Sergio Guimond or Giles Guimond or any Guimond that uh, could be him. So it's kind of weird this guy has no live tournament results despite supposedly knowing about poker, but whatever. So within the next few days, James thought about this and like, ah, damn, this is a scam. This has got to be a scam. So you know what? Screw this guy. I'm just going to try to waste his time now. I'm, I'm pissed that he was trying to steal my money. So screw him. So James feigned interest and uh, didn't send any money. Well, four days later, on uh, July 26, 2013, keep in mind it was July 22nd when James submitted his application and then talked to Sergio, I think the same day, either the same day or the next day. But just four days later on July 26th, um, he got the email from Sergio saying, please make your cash deposit of $750 to the account at Bank of America as follows. We only accept cash deposits. <laughs> no personal checks, no other forms of payment, only cash. To Bank of America checking account in the state of Florida and gave an account number. And he put, P.S., please email me tomorrow to confirm the deposit. Look forward to meeting you in Miami. Thank you, Sergio. Now, I'm really curious as to what would have happened if this guy deposited 750 bucks. Like, would Sergio have just disappeared? It's hard for me to believe Sergio would have traveled from Canada uh, down to Florida to evaluate this guy because he'd pretty much waste the money on airfare and, uh, and hotel rooms. So I have to imagine Sergio was just going to steal it, but who knows? Who knows what Sergio was planning to do with the 750 bucks? Uh, but what I will tell you is Sergio was very, very upset when that money didn't come. So just one day later, one day after giving James the instructions on how to send the money, one day later, Sergio was in a panic and wrote the following to James. Hi, James. I have not noticed the $750 deposit to our account listed below. I know you said you were going to do that this morning. Let me know the status of this deposit. See instructions below. So James just ignored him. 
Just eight hours later, like a junkie badly needing his fix, and maybe that's what was going on, Sergio emails James again, just eight hours later, telling him that James left him in a bad situation by not sending the whopping $750. (laughs) This is a multi-million dollar company, people. All over $750. Sorry, supposed multi-million dollar company. James... What is going on with your situation, writes Sergio just eight hours later. We have not received your deposit, and you are no longer returning any calls or emails. Please call me at, and he gave his phone number, ASAP. Thank you. P.S. You're leaving me in a bad situation here again. Your deposit was due this morning. (laughs) So this is a lot of panic over 750 bucks. So... As a postscript to this, and as as you can see, Sergio was in a panic either because he badly needed the 750 bucks or because uh, he felt that if he doesn't get James to send it quickly, James may have second thoughts and not do it. A lot of scammers like to put a lot of pressure on their marks because they're afraid the marks will talk to other people or change their mind or really think it through. So the way scammers succeed is by making their marks feel a sense of urgency to have to pay or miss out on some great opportunity. So it could have been that or it could have been both. Maybe he needed the money badly and he was putting pressure on him so he doesn't change his mind. So anyway, uh, James did not answer him. And this led to Sergio becoming furious. Again, all over $750 that James decided not to send and not to do. Now, if this were a legitimate company, they would have treated this the way a legitimate company would. And that is, okay, you don't pay. Okay, you don't get the services. Okay, no $750. bucks. Okay, no evaluation. Like, they shouldn't have to pay for the evaluation in the first place. But if they are going to pay and then they don't, and you haven't given this person the service yet, which in this case is the evaluation, you just say, okay, well, you didn't pay. I'm afraid we can't do this. You know, goodbye. Instead, these panicky emails, and you put me in a bad spot. But uh, it went beyond that. James wrote, I'm no fool, and when I realized it was a complete scam, I won't lie, I kind of toyed with them and gave them a dose of their own medicine. Had I known all the BS that followed was going to happen, I probably wouldn't have. Crazy random texts and phone calls, threats and defamation, all kinds of wild shit, was like the mob. So he started getting threats from Sergio. Then, as a final touch, when... James did not respond to him. Sergio wrote, still coming to Florida, see you soon, and then sent him a Google Maps picture of James's address. Intimidating stuff, huh? Pretty creepy. That's the type of person we're dealing with here. So what's going on here? What's the story? We see that Sergio is very happy to threaten people when they don't do what he wants over small amounts of money or questioning why the things he's claiming are not true. But we see he makes real effort to hire people like BJ Nemeth. I've gotten emails from other poker media organizations that have confirmed that he tried to hire them for covering events. We have the attempts to 
get these casinos on board for these tournaments? What is he trying to do here? Is this all a big game? Is this some kind of scam where he's going to just take the money and run? It could be, but I don't think so. In, I think, 1999 or 2000, there was a movie called Bowfinger. And Bowfinger was a Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy movie where basically a very low-grade producer who had like $2,000 to his name, played by Steve Martin, wanted to make a major movie starring a major actor that was played by Eddie Murphy. But he knew that he would never get this major actor unless uh, he gave his project a look of legitimacy. Uh, So he tried that at first, and then when that failed, he actually started to film the actor in real-life situations and uh, you know that he would induce the actor to be in and then film it as the movie. Then he would get doubles for this actor and convince these doubles, also played by Eddie Murphy, by the way, that they were really acting for the movie when he would introduce them into real-life situations, such as uh, he would have the double cross a busy freeway and say that all the people on the freeway are really stunt drivers and won't hit him, when in reality he just has the guy cross a busy freeway and films it. It's actually a pretty good movie. If you haven't seen it, Go rent it, Bowfinger. But uh, I think that Sergio is the Bowfinger of poker. Let's go back to the movie analogy. Let's say I wanted to put on a big movie. I wanted Tom Cruise and Leonardo DiCaprio to star in it. I wanted a major director to direct it. I wanted a major studio to fund it. But it's just me. I don't have any such connections to make this happen. So if I called up Tom Cruise's agent and said, hey, will Tom Cruise act in my movie? I would be laughed off the phone. If I called that big director I wanted and told him that I want him to direct my movie, he would laugh me off the phone. And if I called up a studio and said, I want you guys to back my movie, they would laugh me off the phone. But what if I called each entity and pretended like the others were all on board? What if I convinced Tom Cruise's agent that I had this major director on board and the major studio backing me? What if I convinced the studio that I already had Tom Cruise and Leonardo DiCaprio and, uh, and I had uh, this director? What if I convinced the director I had the studio and I had the actors? Well, if I could convince them all at the same time, theoretically, I mean, you really probably couldn't pull this off, but theoretically, if they all weren't wise to it, they would all erroneously believe that the others were already in place and that I was some kind of big shot and that uh, maybe it could all come together. And when they all show up, they're all there. And it all seems legit. That's what Sergio, I think, is trying to do. He's trying to put all the independent pieces together behind the scenes and have them all show up together and see each other there and say, oh, well, okay, here we are for the poker tournament. All right. All right, here's the super millions, everybody. We're going to have the big super millions, $1.2 million buy-in. And, you know, it would be covered by poker media and you'd hear that legitimate people in poker media are covering it. And you'd hear that uh, it's in a legitimate poker room and all of a sudden you have people really buying in for it. Everyone shows up, everyone plays. I don't know where Sergio would get the money to uh, give these added prizes, but since he's not actually giving $250,000 cash and is just... uh, putting it towards next tournaments, I'm assuming that he's thinking he's going to make so much money that once he makes that, then he can afford 
to roll that money towards future tournaments. And if these future tournaments don't happen, well, he's not really out the money because he hasn't spent it. It's something like that. It's something to where I believe he just puts all these independent pieces together and hopes they don't talk to each other and realize that he's really a nobody, has nothing in place, has no money, has no backing, has no funding. That he's lying about everything. I'm pretty convinced that's what he's doing. If not exactly, that's something close to it. So that's what's going on with that. Now, one more thing. Some people have asked, have I gotten contacted by Sergio since I did this big piece on him last week and since I've been posting all, all about his company on Poker Fraud Alert? I've been far more critical and far more detailed than any person on earth regarding Poker, uh, poker Fraud Alert, regarding Poker Approved. If I've been his biggest detractor, if I've been his biggest skeptic, if I've had the most high-profile exposés on Poker Approved, why have I not received the threats? Why haven't I received a picture of my house on Google Maps? Why haven't I received legal threats, aside from those stupid things Gabriella sent to me last week? Why haven't I received any sort of cryptic threat like, I'll see you later or collect my debts from you later? Like, why am I not getting that when everyone else who dares question them is? I don't think it's because I'm that scary. I think it's because he thinks I won't believe it. I think he knows if he sends me those threats, I will just go repost them on Poker Fraud Alert. And guess what, Sergio? I will. If you send me any kind of threat, legal or otherwise, I will post everything verbatim on Poker Fraud Alert. I will do that. And I will tweet to everybody to go take a look on Poker Fraud Alert. And you know I will do that. And that's why you're not making these threats. Because these threats you're making are supposed to be threats to shut people up. Not threats to make the situation worse. And when you know you're threatening a guy that's going to make the situation worse if you threaten him, there's no point to threaten. And that's why I have not gotten any threats from Poker Approved. Now, you might think, well, maybe Poker Approved is just hiding. Maybe that they're just uh, taking a break with all this controversy. No. Uh, they may have their Twitter account protected, but I've been able to see their tweets anyway. They are still tweeting out things like, on May 9th, three days ago, need a few solid 1025 and 2550 players to play high-stakes cash games in Macau. If interested, send us a direct message. This is on their Twitter. <laughs> now, again, most people can't see this because they, they have their Twitter blocked, but uh, they are tweeting this to their followers. Maybe they assume or the gullible ones might s- still be willing to do this. Um, May 10th, our EPT cash team will focus on EPT London, Barcelona, Monaco, and PCA Bahamas. Poker Approved is now putting together an EPT cash game team to focus on play in the EPT circuit cash games only. If interested, please send a direct message. You know, what I hope happens if they really are getting involved in the EPT Barcelona, I hope they run into the same people who break into rooms and steal laptops. That would be great. (laughs) All right. So uh, weird saga going on here. One thing before I end this, I forgot that there's one other important thing to say, very important thing to say, that was discovered this week. And that is they're not just going after nobodies like James or – pros like Jeff Madsen, they're going after World Series of Poker main event champions. Wow. So 
let me read the tweets. Two tweets came in this week from uh, two main event champions. This is just blowing my mind that it goes this far. Let me read these tweets. Here we are. Ryan Reese. Remember him? He won the uh, main event in 2013. He said, I knew that Sergio and Poker Approved was a scam when they wanted to pay me heaps of money, and I asked Daniel Negreanu about it, and he never heard of it. So they were claiming they're going to stake Ryan Reese, and he's asked Daniel Negreanu about it, and uh, they hadn't heard of it. Ryan Reese also said, or so, sorry, let me get to uh, what was said by uh, Chris Moneymaker. Chris Moneymaker also jumped in and said they tried to get him too. He said, tried to get me too. Thanks to Sam Trickett for not knowing them after they said that they staked him. So they went to Chris Moneymaker and said, hey, we're going to stake you. I wonder if they did this after they saw the money problems he was having uh, and said, hey, we're already staking Sam Trickett and look at what he's doing. So let us stake you too. And Moneymaker asked Sam Trickett, hey, are these guys staking you? And he said, what? I don't even know who they are. So they just outright lied to Chris Moneymaker that they're staking Sam Trickett when they never even talked to him. So I'm not sure what they would have done like if Chris Moneymaker said yes because they have no money. But what I'm guessing the next move would have been if Ryan Reese or Chris Moneymaker agreed to the staking. I don't know why Ryan Reese would need it after all the money he just won, but Chris Moneymaker does need it. But I think what they probably would have done like in Moneymaker's case was then they probably would have like gone out and tried to find investors and say, hey, you're going to be backing Chris Moneymaker and see if they could have found some sucker to do it and then backed him and then, then they could brag about it. Then they could say, hey, uh, we're backing Chris Moneymaker. So really shady stuff going on here. They tried to get two different main event champions, tried to get Jeff Madsen, trying to get him to send $400,000 to them first, as revealed last week by Anna Kate. Uh, tried to get various people in poker media and various companies and various casinos to go along with this whole scam. But so far, as far as we know, none of this has come to pass. Though I wouldn't be surprised if there were unknowns like James who got ripped off by them, who just like sent the money to be evaluated and it never happened. Or maybe they got evaluated and, quote, didn't make the cut and then just the money was kept. Very bad news, Sergio Guimond and his company poker approved. All right, so let's move on to the next subject. Let's move on. Guy La Liberté, speaking of a guy who really does have money, really does have the ability to back people and have has backed people for millions of dollars. Uh, Gila Liberté played a lot on full tilt prior to Black Friday. He lost a whole heap of money. This guy would lose $10 million on one account and then would switch to another account. And then would switch to another account. And people think he was switching accounts either to avoid the humiliation of losing or maybe just uh, change his luck. But whatever, he lost probably tens of millions of dollars on full tilt playing high-stakes, no-limit poker. No-limit hold'em. Guy La Liberté had remained quiet about it. It was assumed, okay, you know, he tried his hand at the big boy games. There was a 
huge skill gap between him and the typical player. And he lost, and he has so much money, he's a billionaire, so he accepted it. He gambled and he lost. Well, Guy Le Liberté made the following claims in a French-language article on the website Journal de Montreal. This is a general article about him, and it touched a little bit on the poker. It wasn't an article about the poker. He wrote, or he said, I should have remembered that I'm a dinosaur compared to this, and he's referring to the internet. The story of Full Tilt is clear. I got scammed squarely by people I knew personally who used unlimited bank paying no money. And I'll explain that in a second. It's easy to go all in all the time when it's not your own money, and they printed money to play against me, and they put 2-3, I was stupid. Now what he's trying to say here is that, number one, there were two or three pros sitting with him every time, minimum, colluding against him in the games. And number two, that they had an unlimited virtual bankroll in that they could just keep reloading with phantom money that the company would just credit to their account. And he could only play with a finite amount of money because he could only play with whatever he had loaded onto the site. While he is worth billions, he doesn't have billions on full tilt. He had to load it on there. And he could only play with whatever he had. So... He had a limited bankroll on there, and he's saying the pros, they could just have money added, 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 added as much as they needed, and that they could just recklessly go all in because it wasn't real money. And um, he didn't say this, but he may have been implying that given what turned out to be the truth about Full Tilt, in that uh, they didn't really have all the money they claimed they had on deposit, that that's why they could keep reloading. That's why they could keep playing with this unlimited money, because they knew that they would never actually have to really pay this money if they lost it. So, you know, basically that the company would just steal from someone else to pay Guy if he happened to win. Uh, He also felt they were colluding against him. There's always two or three people there who are full-tilt red pros who were given an unlimited sum of money to beat him. Now, he was aiming these statements at the high-ranking full-tilt Red Pros, not the Red Pros who you know, are kind of nobodies on the site, or, and not, for the, not against the other pros who were not Red Pros that also happened to be in the game. Now, Haralabob Vulgaris, hard to say that name, he played in a number of these games against Guy, and he wasn't one of the full-tilt Red Pros. And he said on 2 Plus 2 that Guy is simply a sore loser. This is what he wrote. Haralabob said this, and this is obviously a very smart guy, and you, know, you can trust a lot of what Haralabob says because uh, this is a really, really bright guy who, one of the best sports bettors of all time, and someone who really generally gets it and generally has a pretty smart view on things. So Haralabob wrote this. Guy was basically a huge loser from the first week he started playing on Full Tilt, these guys weren't playing with imaginary limitless money. They were playing, for the most part, with Guy's money, and his opponent's bankrolls kept going up and up the more he played. Guy never even really had any upswings when he played live or online. The gap between him and the players he played against was that big. He was drawing dead. So he's basically saying they had huge bankrolls because from the second he showed up there, he lost a fortune to them. 
And every time he'd lose more, their bankroll got bigger and bigger, and soon their bankroll was big enough to withstand any kind of variance that would happen from just bad luck. But that Guy could never put any kind of winning streak together because he was that bad compared to the really good red pros who were playing against him. Now, I believe that. I believe that analysis to be correct. I believe Guy was a sore loser. I don't think there was collusion. They didn't need to collude. However, I do think there may have been some soft playing that was going on. I don't have any proof of this, but think about it. I think it's possible that the pros who are playing for huge money may have dodged big confrontations with one another and simply waited for their big hands against Guy. When you know you have a huge fish they're giving his money away and you know you're in no limit hold'em where uh, you know every hand has the potential to be huge, why get in a confrontation with other players who are just as competent as you are, maybe even better than you, when you can wait to get in a hand with a fish who's probably going to lose to you? And I think they may have done this without even like agreeing to have done this. It may have been what is called implied collusion in that uh, they just didn't want to get involved in big pots with one another knowing that there's a big fish dumping his money. So, yeah, sure, if one flops set over set, then they're going to get their money in, but uh, you know, otherwise they may not have played each other as aggressively, which also may have gotten Guy irritated and made him suspect collusion, when in reality it's just because he was a fish and they, they wanted to play against the fish. Uh, that's a different form of collusion than forcing a guy out. And that's, that seems to be what he's implying, that they just kept going all in, all in, all in to force him out. And I don't believe that was happening. I don't believe they needed to do that. And Haralabob has verified that Guy was that bad to where he was just naturally going to lose his money to them very quickly. And they didn't need to cheat him. Like, there's no need to cheat a huge fish. There just isn't. Now, Haralabob did concede that it was likely that Guy's contacted Full Tilt, the guy who got him... who got his money on there because, you know, you can't just easily deposit millions of dollars onto Full Tilt. You need someone uh, to arrange that to happen. So he had some contact there, another red pro, that was getting the money on for him in exchange for cash or wires or whatever. And uh, Haralabab did concede that it was likely that this contact was then calling up his friends, the other red pros, and hey, Guy just made a large deposit, so be looking out for him at the tables. And probably these pros sat there on their computer and watched for Guy to sit all day, knowing that he had just made a large deposit and was looking to play. Now that does not qualify as any form of cheating, but uh, you know he can understand why that would have irritated Guy and why that uh, wasn't all that fair, that these pros had that inside information. Now, as far as this phantom money, were they really playing on phantom money? I mean, it's easy to believe, given what happened at Full Tilt. Um, I think yes and no. I can believe that maybe they noticed that Guy was so bad that some of the Red Pros may have had an agreement to share bankrolls. That basically... um, Whatever they win against Guy, they split. I'm not saying they did this, but it's possible they did. Uh, It's possible that any money that was withdrawn from the company was on this shared bankroll. And um, that it was determined that Guy was so bad that he would lose soon enough to where they would recoup whatever had been withdrawn from the company. So maybe it was a decision to give anyone credit. Or maybe it was as simple as, hey... We're, we're paying so much out in distributions 
to these players every month. We'll let them borrow against the company, knowing that they're going to eventually beat Ghee. And and if even if they don't by some miracle, then we'll just take it out of their distribution for the next few months. Like Ivy was getting like a million bucks a month, so just if Ivy borrows t- three million and can't cover it, then just don't pay Ivy for the next three months, and it's even. Could have been something like that. I have no evidence that any of this was happening, but uh, I don't believe that uh, they had just complete phantom money with disregard for it so much to where they could just be hyper-aggressive at these super high limits and not have to worry about it. If anyone would have to worry about someone with a very deep bankroll, it would be the players against Guy. Guy actually had an advantage in that the money didn't mean as much to him as it did to all of these pros. So I think the reverse may have been true. In fact, that's what Andy Beal used to his advantage when he played those super high-stakes games uh, against what was called the corporation of, of pros back in those days where they combined bankrolls and played against them heads up. So being the one with a big bankroll always is the advantage. And I don't think they used unlimited company money to repeatedly just shove all in on him. In fact, I believe Haralabob says, look, Guy was losing from the start, so they didn't need to borrow anything. 775 fraud 55 775 Before we go to our next topic, let me read some of the texts here and see if uh, perhaps Jeff Madsen texted me. Doesn't look like he did. Here's the text we got from last week on May 8th. Druff, you said something about Poker Fraud Alert shirts last night. Just screen printed? I have a hookup and can deliver when I fly out there on the 27th and collect payment then. I don't know what he means by screen printed. Maybe he can explain this to me in a PM or an email. But yeah, if he can make t-shirts quickly, sure. This is on... It was yesterday. Happy Mother's Day, you fucking donk-ass Steve Stevens watching asses. How many of you fucking degenerates... Didn't get your mother a card. This isn't the me, but everybody listening. Okay. Um, that was from the 954. From the 941, free Judonk ban limitless. Yeah, I unbanned limitless recently. From the 702, read my text from last week about how bad your take on the Sterling thing was. Signed, Jew Magoo. Well, the only text I see from you from last week was, really, Druff, you totally ignore my text on last week's show? I thought you don't censor. I, these are the only two texts I've gotten from you. So send it again. That's from the 702. Um, from the 704 area code, I'll donate $25 to the free roll tonight. Give me the address to send to PayPal. Well, too late for that. Or it says, uh, never mind, I see the address... Money coming your way. Okay, that's from Chris P. 200 who sent money, but that will go towards next week. We're sorry, two weeks from now. Thank you, Chris. We will use it. From the 815, I've got a hot, steamy boner, and I feel so fucking hot right now. My beard is full of broccoli cheese soup. Oh, jeez. I want to rub it all over my cock. Also, Vanessa Selfs is so hot, I would love to suck a fart out of her ass and suck on her tampon. This has been your weekly gross-out report from and a bunch of gibberish. Try and say all of that. I think I may need to 
modify my policy to read everything I get on this show. That's pretty bad. Pretty. Ba- I, I hope my son didn't hear me reading this stuff. But it's a pretty. It's a pretty good seal from the radio studio to the rest of uh, the secret location. At least I hope there is. See, I just embarrassed poor, poor JSTAT in the chat room saying, headphone time, God guess. I don't know, you don't need the headphones, I'm done reading the text. I won't read anything dirty for the re- remainder of the show, I promise. By the way, yeah, it's too late. I mean, if the guests heard this, you might as well let them hear the rest. All right, let me go on to the next topic here. Let's talk about the curious case of the two-players-take-all tournament on party poker. There have been some that have advocated winner-take-all tournaments. There are some that think poker tournaments are stupid because you get rewarded for losing. Think of how much money the second-place people get in tournaments despite finishing with zero chips. They're getting paid to lose. Furthermore, some people criticize tournaments in that you don't even have to win very much to get to the final table. You can kind of just survive. You have to win some, but you don't have to really kill the tournament. You can kind of just toast into the final table. Sometimes also true. Well, there's a tournament that took place that definitely could not be criticized that way. And that is the Party Poker New Jersey two-player take-all tournament. This is really weird. There's a really weird story. This was at High Roller event number 14 on Party Poker's New Jersey online poker site. This is the legalized online poker site for the state of New Jersey, one of them over there, run by Party Poker. This was the NJCOP, the New Jersey Championship of Online Poker. It was event number 14. They call it the High Roller, but it was only a $500 buy-in. They promoted a 20K guarantee for first and a 10K guarantee for second. That was all they said about it. 10K, 20K for first guaranteed, 10K for second guaranteed, $500 buy-in. So as people were buying in, they were looking at the payouts and it said first place 20K, second place 10K. And it was assumed that if they don't reach the guarantee that that's all that's going to be paid out. They're not responsible to pay additional places when they haven't met the guarantee. So people understood that when they registered. However, everybody thought if they got more than 30K in the prize pool, that other places would be paid. This was not promoted as only two places get paid. It was promoted as 20K guaranteed first place, 10K guaranteed second place, and that was it. So everyone assumed once they met those guarantees, then they would start paying out like a normal tournament. Well, that's not what happened. They ended up getting 149 players. The prize pool was slightly under $70,000. Of those 149 players, first place got $46,185. Second place got $23,099. Third place and below got... 0.0. So yeah, that... uh, Imagine... You pay 500 bucks to enter a tournament, you finish third out of 149, and what you get is 
zero. Now, if this tournament was promoted that way, that only two places get paid, then fine. You knowingly entered it, and you knowingly plunked down 500 bucks with the understanding that if you finish third or below, you will get nothing. But they did not promote it this way. All they promoted was 20K for first, 10K for second guaranteed. That's it. Now, everybody just assumed that beyond 30K, that it would go to the rest of the prize pool. Furthermore, people noticed as they were registering, and once the guaranteed amounts were hit, and once first and second place started going up past 20 and 10K, that the other places weren't being paid. So they emailed Party Poker Support saying, hey, what's going on here? Where are the other places? And this is what Party Poker Support said to them. They said various forms of um, the tournament lobby was an error. We are working diligently to fix it, but have no further information at this time. So they got confirmation from support that this was a mistake. So they said, okay, no problem. We'll just play it through. Assume it'll be a normal tournament, even if a bit top-heavy. And uh, we'll, they'll fix the payout thing. We're not going to stress over the payout. Well, they never fixed it. When it was all over, third place indeed got... Zero point zero. So people understandably were very distressed about this. Let me give you an analogy. Let's say I own a restaurant and you're a regular, like a diner, and you come in for years, once a week or so, and order a burger. And this burger costs you 10 bucks. So you stop looking at the menu. Every week you just come in and say, hey, Todd, give me a burger. I'll give you a burger. You get the bill. It's 10 bucks. You pay it. That's it. You don't bother with the menu. So then today you come into my diner. You order the burger. Again, you don't look at the menu. I serve you the burger, and while it tastes better than normal, you don't think much of it, and then I give you the bill for 50 bucks. And you go, wait a minute, 50 bucks? It's supposed to be 10. And I say, oh, I'm sorry. Now we're serving Kobe beef burgers here, which are much more expensive, so the price is now $50. I'm sorry for not telling you, but that's our new product. So $50 is the new price. There's no more regular burger. It's only a Kobe beef burger. You ordered a burger. That's what you got. You owe me 50 bucks. Would you be pissed? Of course you would be. Would you be justified to be angry at me for trying to force you to pay me the 50 bucks? Again, yes. But would you legally owe me the $50? Eh, that part's kind of fuzzy. Uh, on one hand, you could claim you had an expectation that you were ordering the same $10 burger you always ordered. On the other hand, uh, it is your responsibility to look in the menu prior to ordering. And if the menu really says $50, then it could be said that you were being neglectful of the menu. But again, it is understandable why you're neglecting the menu if it's always been the same thing. So that's kind of what happened here. People assume this will pay out like a regular tournament. So they didn't bother to stress over what the exact payouts were. They figured once it makes the 30K guarantee, then it'll pay out the other spots uh, with whatever's left. And when this wasn't done, they feel that they got cheated by omission, that something that was very non-standard was not disclosed to them, and even worse... The support reps were saying this was a mistake and that it would be fixed, and it never was. Indeed, I have a screenshot of it, and it just says, 
NJCOP number 14, $30,000 guaranteed high roller. That's it. It doesn't say anything about two spots paid only, nothing about that. A very non-standard thing. It was not promoted this way. The players were very angry. Well, Party Poker made a statement about this on 2 Plus 2. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the important part reads, Our poker software shows payout structures clearly in each tournament's lobby, and they update it almost real-time as players register and rebuy. The registration lobby for this event did show the payout structure correctly at all times. Players who registered before the 30k guarantee was met would have seen that only two places were being paid, and players who registered after the guarantee was met would also have seen the same thing. So while we recognize advanced communication was not great about exactly what might happen once and if the 30k guarantee was exceeded, the prize payout details were available for players to see before deciding whether or not to play. Therefore, we do stand by our payout structure for the NJCOP event number 14 and will not be revising it. Terrible decision, terrible decision. I think legally they can get away with most of it, except for the part of the support telling people it's a mistake. In that case, their support is giving some sort of guarantee that the other places will be paid by saying it's a mistake. Uh, So those people definitely have a claim. Anyone who contacted support before the tournament started, does have they would have a legal claim here. I don't know if they're going to pursue it. But um, even ignoring that, they made a mistake here. I think that this was not what was intended. They also admitted, I'm going to read this part too in their post, we regret that we did not advertise this structure as more of a feature of the event as the actual turnout and post-event comments indicate we may have had even a greater participation. So they're saying, well, we're sorry we didn't advertise this as a two-player take-all tournament because we think it would have excited people and we would have had even more people in it. And that's the whole point. They're not stupid. They know that if there's something this different and this unique, that they should promote it this way and get people to try it, saying, wow, we've never seen this before. Wow, a two-player take-all tournament. Cool. The fact that they didn't promote it shows that that was not what was intended. Now, my guess is they intended something like this. If the prize pool was equal or less than 30K, then it was 20K for first, 10K for second, like everyone expected. If it was between like 30 and 60K, I'm just making up these numbers, uh, then 20K for first, 10K for second, and the remaining prize pool that, you know, beyond that uh, goes to the lower spots down to 10% of the players. And if it's greater than 60K, then start with a base of 20K for first, 10K for second, and 30K for the other spots down to 10%, and then distribute the remaining money past 60K uh, to like one-third for first, one-sixth more for second, and one-half more for the remainder. I'm just making this stuff up, but I bet it was some algorithm like this, and then they forgot to program the rest of it. They forgot to program past the 20K for first and 10 for second. I think it was an oversight. And then once the oversight occurred, they were probably like, oh, well, uh, we can just say we meant to do that. You know when someone's walking down the street and they trip and they make all kinds of flailing motions with their body to avoid hitting the floor and keep their balance and then they stand up and they go no I meant to do that I think it's like that they're saying they meant to do that to avoid embarrassment and to avoid having to pay out money to those expecting to be awarded prizes for the third place fourth place fifth place etc if party poker was smart from a PR standpoint 
they would apologize and they would make this right. It's not that much money we're dealing with here. So pay out another 30k or so to the remaining spots. I mean, it sounds like a lot of money and it is for one person, but for a big company like Party Poker, that's nothing. That's nothing. They'll make that up, they'll make that up and rake in a very very short time. And they'll get a lot of good PR for it. Here they look really shady. Here they look like they're finding every excuse not to pay people and even people who were told in advance that this was a mistake by their own support reps. This is really bad and I hope that the people who were told this in advance raise issue to the New Jersey Gaming Board because I think they're due a refund at the very least. So this is a sign once again that legalized online poker is not at all a mature industry. There's a lot of unfair things still happening, a lot of regulations that still need to be in place. Because everyone's learning as they go along. The regulators are learning as they go along. The companies are learning as they go along. But a lot of these mistakes shouldn't be happening. A lot of these mistakes, if handled by competent and fair people who know about PR implications, who know about how to keep customers happy, who know about good customer service, would not let these things happen. But they are. It's happening on Party Poker. It's happening on WSOP.com. It's even happening to some degree on Ultimate Poker. They've got to stop it. They've got to just say, we're going to think before we act. We're going to try to be customer friendly. These sites are not thus far. Well, we have another scam. I just try to say scandal, not scam. Another scandal involving chips at live tournaments. Seems to be the big thing in 2014. Chips being appropriated somehow during live tournaments or snuck into live tournaments. But it's, you know, live tournaments have existed for so long, but yet it's only this year when we keep hearing about people either sneaking chips into tournaments that are counterfeit or trying to steal chips from tournaments. It keeps ending up in the news. It's happened again. At the Chicago Poker Classic, that's at uh, Harrah's in Chicago, there was an incident involving the chip leader in event number nine at the Horseshoe Chicago Poker Classic. And this is a Caesars property, so this has implications to the World Series. The chip leader at that event, number nine, at the Chicago Poker Classic, really had a few tricks up his sleeve. What kind of tricks? Well, he had 6K worth of tournament chips in his sleeve. (laughs) Now, rather than tell you what happened, I'm going to play some secretly recorded audio that no one's ever heard before from when this guy actually put the chips in his sleeve. There's a big surprise for you guys, but here it comes. Listen closely. Hey, Rocky! Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up my sleeve. Bristol. Okay, so uh, <laughs> from the old uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Wrong hat. I take a seven and a half. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. All right, so this guy had 6K worth of tournament chips. Again, not real money chips, but tournament chips in his sleeve. And this is the chip leader. So the question is... 
was this on purpose so he could take these chips later and use them in other tournaments there in which, uh, you know, 6K is probably worth very little at that point in the tournament, whereas early in a tournament is probably worth a lot. Or was this by accident? Well, this is... I got some tweets. I didn't get them, but I saw tweets from a woman named Gillian Epp who was there and tweeted the following. Police were at the horseshoe yesterday. The chip leader from event number nine had 6K tournament chips in his sleeve. Apparently, he had no malicious intentions. He was banned from all Caesars properties, and those chips are out of play today as the remaining players return. Apparently, they fell into his sleeve. (laughs) I asked, were they gravity-defying sleeves? And was told, they were very big sleeves. So this big-sleeved poker player who has not been identified has been kicked out of all Caesars properties, can't play the World Series or any other tournaments or even set foot on any of their properties because 6K worth of tournament chips, I'm not sure if it was a 5 and a 1 or 6 ones or what the hell it was, but somehow those ended up in his very big sleeves, which he insists is an accident. I don't even know what to say about this. Is it really possible that 6K worth of tournament chips could have fallen into his sleeves and not only not have been noticed by him, but not fallen out? Now, I do have to say that sleeving tournament chips is not very smart. It really isn't that hard to pocket tournament chips. Uh, But then again, some of these thieves are not very smart, as you've seen from uh, Christian Lusardi, the toilet bowl chip flusher. So... I don't know what to say. It's possible the guy did this to try to use them at a later tournament and then use the sleeve thing as plausible deniability. Like, if you have chips in your pocket, you can't say, they accidentally fell in my pocket. But your sleeves, maybe you can say that if your sleeves are really big. Or maybe he was that unlucky that his big sleeve somehow caught two or more tournament poker chips and didn't realize it until it was too late. I I don't know, but I guess Caesars is not messing around. And uh, they didn't have him arrested, but they booted him. So not only didn't he get to win this tournament or finish high up in this tournament, but he also can't ever play again. So might have been a bad beat for the guy with the big sleeves. Really weird story. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355-702-430-18. Those are the phone numbers. I'm looking at the chat room now. You can also text me, 775-372-8355. Flipper Fair asking in chat, uh, was the guy with the big sleeves, who Jedi? (laughs) Bad guy, I think it's bad guy, just texted me. Shut the fuck up and go find Casey Kasem. The deranged fucker is missing. Is that true? Is Casey Kasem missing? Be kind of sad. Now I gotta go look at CNN. See if uh, Casey Kasem's really missing. I don't see anything about this. I, I think bad guy's putting me on. I think he's putting me on. Oh, he is missing. Wow. In fact, this is uh, the only news story I see about this is on WTAE Pittsburgh. So I guess that's how uh, 
bad guy found out. A judge on Monday ordered an investigation into the whereabouts of Casey Kasem after an attorney for the ailing radio personality's wife said the former Top 40 host has been removed from the country? Wow. <laughs> you would have thought Casey Kasem would have been taken out of the country against his will. Uh, judge Daniel S. Murphy offered a, ordered a court investigator and adult protective services to find out where Kasem is being treated and report back to the court. Kasem, 82, suffers from advanced Parkinson's disease, can no longer speak, and has been in various medical facilities chosen by his wife, Jean Kasem. I know there's been a big fight between his wife and his kids, and his, his kids have been alleging that his wife has been keeping him away from them, probably for inheritance reasons. So who knows, maybe his wife really did move him out of the country to get him away from the kids. What a, what a bad situation. I have to side with Casey's kids here. I have a feeling he married some shady younger woman who's now taking advantage of him. Now that he's 82 and has Parkinson's. And can't speak. Of all people to not be able to speak anymore, Casey Kasem, wow. Too bad he can't speak. Or uh, maybe he could actually do one more dedication and uh, dedicate it to himself. Uh, I think it would... Stop trying to... Oops, put the wrong thing on there. I, I think he would actually go something like this. Hi, this is Casey Kasem counting him down here on American Top 40. This next dedication is to my wife, who has sent me off to another country so my kids can't find me and she can get all my money. Here from John Wade back in 1984, missing you. Okay, so... uh, there you go, bad guy. I talked about Casey Kasem missing. I hope you're happy. Totally not really uh, a typical subject for this show. Yeah, Hotshot74 saying in chat, first the Jumbo Jet's missing, then the women in Nigeria are disappearing, and now Casey Kasem. Everyone's just disappearing. All righty. Next topic. Jean-Robert Balland. Now I'm going to tell you guys something that you probably don't know. Jean-Robert Balland has bought in to the One Drop Tournament. The One Drop Tournament, which last year was $100,000 to buy in. And this year like it was two years ago, is once again... One million dollars. It's the million-dollar one-drop tournament at the World Series of Poker. Last time it was a million dollars, it was won by Antonio Esfandiari, who is playing again. But John Robert Balland, also known as Broke Living JRB, 
a guy who always brags about being broke, brags about living a high high stakes lifestyle despite being broke all the time. And I've seen evidence of him actually doing that. I've personally seen it. In fact, he may even come on this show at some point. He, me and him are on good terms. We're not like close friends, but we've always been on good terms. And he says hello to me whenever he sees me. You know, we, we get along, me and John Robert. So uh, maybe I'll have him on this show at some point. But uh, John Robert Belland, the broke guy of poker, is entering the million-dollar one-drop event, surprising a lot of people. Vanessa Selbst has also bought in to be the first female ever to play the one-drop tournament. There are 33 confirmed players right now for the one-drop event. This includes four anonymous businessmen, three satellite seats that have not yet been won, Guy Le Liberté himself, who's putting the whole thing together, and 25 others. Of these 25 others, 21 are pros, and uh, the other four are businessmen. So the 25 others are Antonio Esfandiari, Bobby Baldwin, not the actor, but the poker player, uh, hedge fund manager David Einhorn, Phil Galfon, UK pro Philip Grusim, Phil Ivey, Jason Mercier, businessman Paul Newey, businessman Bill Perkins, Vivek Rajkumar, Brian Rast, Andrew Robel, Eric Seidel. You got to wonder if any of that is stolen full tilt money. I mean, he got paid a lot from full tilt during the time when. He had partial ownership there. He wasn't on the board, but he made a lot of money from there. I, I know he's had very good tournament results recently, but still. Uh, Brandon Steven, a businessman. Sam Trickett, who finished second in the event two years ago for $12 bucks. Noah Schwartz, another pro. Told you already about John Robert and Vanessa Selbst. Anthony Gregg, who won the 100K one drop for $4.8 million last year. Max Altergott, who won a big Monte Carlo event recently. Tobias Rankemeyer is a, Ger- a German pro. Igor Kurganov, a Russian pro who's played high roller events elsewhere. Christoph Vogelsong, not to be conf- confused with Ryan Vogelsong of the San Francisco Giants. Though I, I have a feeling Christoph Vogelsong could probably pitch better than Ryan Vogelsong at this point. Uh, he, anyway, he's a German guy, a pro. And finally, Nicholas Heinecker, who's a huge online winner, also a German. Pretty tough field, 21 pros there. A lot of these guys uh, should be very, very tough to contend with there. But let's talk about John Robert. Let's talk about John Robert. There's a picture that John Robert posted of himself on Instagram of him buying in at the cage with... One million dollars. Cash. Cash! Jean Robert showed up with a million bucks cash to the cage at the World Series of Poker. Or I guess it's not the World Series of Poker cage, but a, a cage at Caesars or the Rio or whatever. And deposited a million bucks cash. 
I mean, I see it right in front of him. He really did this. This really happened. So people are thinking, well, what does he have of himself? Like a 1%, 2%? You know, Gila Liberté must have bought him in just to have a colorful character at the table. Just to liven up the tournament. I don't think that's true. Believe it or not, I think that John Robert Belland has most or all of himself at this tournament. Now, how can I say that? How could broke living JRB have most or all of himself in a million dollar tournament? Well, I was given some information. I can't give this information out without violating someone's confidence. So when I was given this information, I said to this person, I want to talk about this on the radio. Can I discuss it at all? I'm not trying to hold it over your head that I know something you don't. I could have just not said this, but I wanted to say it, and the person said, okay, you can be general about it, but just don't be specific. So I was given information that John Robert is not as broke as he makes himself out to be. In fact, he's not broke now. He's out of makeup to everyone, and he actually has money. Now, some people saw the Facebook message from Dan Bilzerian from some kind of home poker game where Dan Bilzerian was sitting in front of a a weird cat, almost looks like uh, Mr. Bigglesworth from Austin Powers. It's like a shaved cat, but he's sitting with a cat in front of him. Three pretty girls in um, very scantily clad outfits wearing... uh, short plaid skirts and black bras and nothing else. Uh, one of them is massaging Dan Bilzerian. The other two are massaging Jean Robert. I'm not sure if there's anyone else at the table. It looks like there are because I see other stacks of chips and there's a very pretty girl dealing. But the caption, and this was dated April 22nd of this year, just about uh, three weeks ago, Dan Blazarian wrote, This painful fat idiot JRB just won 11 Bentleys in my poker game. He's claiming that John Robert won the equivalent of 11 Bentleys in his home poker game, which that by itself could easily cover the million-dollar buy-in. But that's not even what I'm talking about. That may have been some of the money. But even without that, John Robert... I believe, could afford to enter that event. Jean Robert is not broke. I have it on good authority that that is the case. So, Jean Robert really is the type of degenerate to where if he has a few million bucks to his name, that he would enter a million-dollar tournament like the one drop. That's, That's him. Most of these other pros, as crazy as some of them are with money, Even they have a limit, and most of them do not want to put up their own million bucks if they only have a few million to their name. But Jean Robert could see doing it. Jean Robert is someone who uses his outgoing personality and skills as a hustler to always keep himself in action. He's always in action, and I think uh, Dan Bilzerian, who, by the way, I don't believe is putting him in this, but I think Dan Bilzerian... uh, also may have been backing him at one point. 
But I think John Robert put himself in this one. And I think he's crazy enough to actually use his own money or most of his own money to enter this thing. So of all people, of all these pros that I listed there, the one who may have the most of himself might be John Robert Balland. Who would have thought that would ever be the case? Even John Robert has alluded on his own Twitter that he's run it up recently. He also posted a picture of a Bentley on his Twitter with the license plate JR Broke. Now, it's possible it was a coincidence. It was a Bentley that he found that has uh, something like Junior Broke. And he said, ah, JR Broke. It was like JRB Broke. But then again, that's a pretty big coincidence. I have to believe that's really his Bentley. So yeah, John Robert is the type who would run out and get a Bentley as soon as he runs up some money. And he's the type who would buy into a million-dollar tournament. I can tell you that about John Bel- John Robert Balland from the time I've spent around him. So this should be very interesting at the one drop if he runs deep. It's one thing to be playing on Gila Liberté's money where you're technically in a million-dollar buy-in event, but you've only got 10% of yourself. And you didn't put up your own money to enter. It's another thing for a guy like John Robert to put in a million bucks of his own to play. So, I'll be watching this one. Jay Stat saying in chat that John Robert won the money at a Bulzarian home poker game, but where did he get the money to buy into the Bulzarian poker game? Huh. Do you think uh, Broke Sergio of Poker Approved could sit in that game? No. Beer and Poker saying in chat, if John Robert Balland can enter the one drop, so can Todd Wittellis. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should start selling shares of the one drop event. I, I wouldn't even do, even if I could sell shares, I'd feel guilty doing that. Like, I, I just couldn't bring myself to do that, to collect all this money from all you guys. You know, even if some of you could afford it, I just, I just couldn't. It, it's just too much. It's just too much at one time. I mean, if Guy Liberté wanted to put me in, sure, but he doesn't even know me. But no, I, I would not enter anything like that. That's like the opposite of me to do that. All right, uh, moving on. And by the way, as far as Vanessa Selfst, um, it's kind of questionable whether she put up her money or not. I think she put up some of her money, is my guess. She has entered other high roller tournaments before. So it's not like she couldn't or wouldn't put up a million bucks, but I still think that's a bit out of her range. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she put it up herself. But, you know, I could see Guy wanting to put her in, have a female in the field, even though she's not exactly... A, very feminine female. She is still a female, and everyone respects her poker game. So if you're going to put a female in the game, I think she's a good choice. I think, you know, unless you want eye candy in the game, if you want a female who's actually going to compete and really be a force at the table, I think Vanessa's a very good choice. 
So, okay, let's uh, move on to the next topic here. Let's see if we got any texts in between here. No. Wow. Okay, people. Fine. Don't text me. See if I care. Poker stars got a patent. And yes, this is patent radio. We're going to discuss uh, patents now. Exciting stuff. Um, I know what you're all thinking right now. And I'm going to talk about a patent that poker stars applied for. That uh, that's probably the last thing you want to hear on this show. I bet your reaction to hearing about us talking about patents is not one of excitement. You probably want to skip over the segment, which if you're listening live, you can't do. I have to imagine your reaction is probably something like that. Yes, welcome to Patent Radio. All patents all the time. Have you guys ever dated anyone who snores? I have before. Imagine trying to sleep next to this all night. You know, what I found the best thing to do when someone's snoring is to move them. You just push them a little bit and shake them and just break them out of whatever position they're in and the snoring will frequently stop. It'll sometimes start again a few minutes later, but at least it's a small victory. When I was a teenager, you know, I, I had a friend, uh, I'd sometimes spend the night at his house and uh, he would snore. And while we would not be in the same bed, uh, we were in the same room and it was so loud um, like I couldn't sleep. And even like going over and shaking the guy wouldn't do any good. He was like sawing logs. I'd like, I'd shake him and I'd still be hearing. So what I actually had to do, and I felt bad doing this, I actually (laughs) would hold his nose and put my hand over his mouth to actually stop him breathing for a second. And that would briefly wake him up before he knew what was going on. And then he'd fall back asleep and stop snoring. It was the only way to get this guy to stop snoring. He never knew I did it either. Like, I I never told him that I was uh, temporarily asphyxiating him so he would stop snoring. But there was no other way to stop it. And I just could not sleep through it. Okay, so let's talk about the patent here that PokerStars applied for. And um, there's a reason I'm talking about it on this show. Where normally I, I would never discuss a subject like that because it would even put me to sleep. Poker Stars has patented Zoom Poker. Now, what is Zoom Poker? I could explain it to you. I could, but I think there's somebody that we all know who's more qualified to explain Zoom Poker to you. Hi, I'm Daniel Negreanu, and I'm going to introduce you to the latest way to play online poker, Zoom Poker from PokerStars. Zoom is for people who want to play poker but don't always have enough time to spare. With Zoom, there's no waiting around for other players. The game moves at your pace. 
Zoom takes you straight to the action and allows you to play at lightning speed. Wait, hold on, hold on, Daniel. You know, Daniel, I understand that you've been fighting the gay rumors for years. I don't think that background music was the right choice, given that you're trying to get away from those rumors. Just letting you know that. It's more poker in less time. So how does it work? Well, the easiest way to explain it is by showing you. So as you can see, I'm now on a Zoom table. You can tell by the logo in the center. In this hand, I'm in early position with a very weak hand, so I click the fold button. And this is where the magic happens. Instead of having to wait out the rest of the hand, I'm immediately moved to a new table with new players, and I'm dealt into a new hand which starts right away. There's no waiting around. I can just keep folding and seeing new hole cards till I find a spot I like and decide to play. It works because when you enter a Zoom table, you join a large group of players rather than just a single table. At the start of each hand, you could be in any position and you could be playing against any players from the group. Once you're in a hand, you play until your action in the hand is over, not your opponent's. So as soon as you fold or go to a showdown or maybe win a pot by getting all your opponents to fold, you get new opponents and a new hand right away. While this might not be the ideal way of analyzing your opponent's play, it's perfect for time-pressed people who don't have hours to spare, but who still want to play a fun and action-filled game of poker. All right, so you get the picture here, um, what's going on with uh, Zoom Poker. And uh, very simply put, without the gay club music in the background, Zoom Poker is a game... Just like regular poker, except as soon as you fold, it picks you up and puts you at another table immediately with a hand. And when you fold that, it picks you up again and puts you at another table. And basically, you constantly got hand, 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 hand. Either playing a hand or folding a hand, you're never waiting. Never. And there's even a fast fold option where you can even fold out of turn, where you're technically not folding out of turn, meaning your opponents don't see you folding out of turn, but you've already been moved to another table before your opponents see that you fold it. The reason Poker Stars has this, the reason Full Tilt introduced this, was to make extra rake. Because playing faster also means raking faster. So it's kind of a win win for everybody. That is, if you like this sort of thing, in that you're never waiting around between hands, which does kind of suck when you're playing poker. And the poker room is raking the maximum. So. This has been around for some time. There's different variants of it. Uh, I believe Full Tilt was the original inventor of this. It was called Rush Poker. But various poker sites out there, none of the legalized U.S. ones have it, but various other poker sites that serve the non-U.S. market and illegal ones that serve the U.S. market have some sort of variant of Zoom Poker. Well, Poker Stars has been trying to get a patent on Zoom Poker. They've been trying to patent it for a while now, but they've been rejected every single time by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, which is known as the USPTO. This began way back in December 2008, when Full Tilt originally tried to patent the similar Rush Poker, and then PokerStar, since they've bought Full Tilt, they continued the attempt to get it patented. However, in October 2013, this patent was again denied. So that was the end of the patent for Rush Poker. So PokerStars decided to, okay, we're going to apply for a new patent for Zoom Poker. 
it's just about the same thing, but hey, it's a different product technically, so we're going to try, which everyone thought was a huge waste of time. Well, apparently not. Now, the reason the patent was turned down by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office was that an individual known as R. Martin Olivares, and I have no idea who this is, but it's some guy named R. Martin Olivares, was granted a patent in September of 2005 regarding tournament play, of which part of, the, of, part of his patented technology involved immediately moving players from their table after they fold. I don't mean after every hand, but, you know, when you play an online tournament, if they need to move you from one table to another, they move you after either a hand is over or after you fold. Like, you'll click fold, and it won't wait for the hand to be over. It'll pick you up and move you immediately. He got that patented in September of 2005. I have no clue who this R. Martin Olivares is. I know he's not affiliated with PokerStars. I don't know what site, if any, he was affiliated with, and he has a bunch of other patents related to online poker. And what's strange about his patents is it seems like he's patenting things that were already in existence in online poker. He was just the one to file for the patent, and he got it. Really strange. But anyway, when considering the Rush Poker patent, the USPTO said, hey, look, something like this already exists in Oliveris's patent, he already has something where as soon as a player folds, he's moved to a different table. So even though in his case it's for tournaments, and in your case it's for cash games, we think it's too similar. We think you're infringing upon R. Martin Oliveris's patent, and therefore we are denying it. They said that to Full Tilt back in December 2008. They said it several times until finally they denied it for good in October 2013. And then PokerStars went in refiled for Zoom Poker. Well, shockingly, the Zoom Poker patent was approved. I have no idea what the difference is. I don't see why Rush Poker would have been denied on this basis of the similar patent already existing, and then Zoom Poker, which is pretty much the same thing, gets approved, but it happened. So, there's some fear now you may say, a big deal, who cares? Let PokerStars have their patent. But here's the problem. There's some fear that now that PokerStars has patented Zoom Poker, that they are going to prevent legalized U.S. online poker sites from offering similar games. They can't really do much about sites like Bovada offering it because those sites don't really follow the law anyway. They just do what they want, much like PokerStars does. But... Uh, the legal U.S. sites have to follow U.S. law. And since PokerStars has a U.S. patent now, it's going to be officially granted on May 20th of this year, eight days from now. Once PokerStars has the patent, they may prevent the other legal U.S. poker sites from offering these type of games, saying that it's infringing upon their patent. And if PokerStars is allowed to enter the legalized U.S. market, as they are trying very hard to do in California they will be the only ones with the ability to offer these fast-fold type of games. Now, how prevalent are these games? Well, right now, of all the cash game hands that are being played on PokerStars, 25% of cash game hands are now Zoom Poker hands. These are a huge moneymaker for PokerStars. It greatly increases the number of hands a user plays within a period of time. 
In my opinion, this patent should not have been issued. PokerStars had a huge advantage going into the legalized U.S. market. I've said it before. They essentially developed this technology, which is uh, Zoom Poker, which they really got from Full Tilt's Rush Poker, with research and development primarily funded by U.S. customers. Think about it. Full Tilt was able to develop things like Rush Poker because they were making so much money by illegally operating in the U.S. And now they're going to get to patent it before the U.S. companies even have a chance. Before the companies that acted legally and lawfully have a chance. Poker stars who had the big head start are saying, not only do we have a big head start and better software, but we're going to patent certain ideas so you can't offer it on your site. This should have never, ever been issued because this was developed when Full Tilt was running afoul of U.S. law. PokerStars has had such a huge head start, and I know the U.S. Patent Office doesn't worry about things like this, about uh, the business implications of these patents, but it should not have been awarded. They had already been rejecting it based upon a similar patent existing, and now this is going to really, really give PokerStars a huge edge if they can stop the other sites from offering Zoom-type poker. Now, it's possible this will be challenged by their competitors or by other companies that want to offer these type of games, and it should be, and I hope those challenges win. I'm not just trying to be anti-poker stars here. This is actually anti-competitive. Basically, poker stars is saying, we can do this and nobody else is allowed to. We're going to offer this type of game. None of you can. F you. We're shutting you out. We had it first when we could operate before you could legally operate. We were able to develop this. In fact, we were able to buy a company that developed this with money we made illegally. And therefore, because this was developed while we were operating illegally, we're ahead of you, and now you can't do it. Totally wrong. Should not be allowed. I hope it is successfully challenged. Now, don't worry about other sites like Bovada. They will continue offering what they want. But I'm talking about the legalized U.S. sites, the ones in Nevada, the ones in New Jersey, Delaware, and maybe soon California. I got a call from the Wall Street Journal. Not expecting to get that, but I did. Usually when I'm contacted by a major media organization, it's because of UB. It's because they want to talk about cheating in poker. They want to talk about the UB scandal in some way. I appeared on 60 Minutes in 2008 talking about UB. I appeared on CNBC in a special they had in 2009 talking about UB. I appeared this year in a Blu-ray extra of the movie Runner Runner talking about UB. That's always what they want me to talk about. But not this time. This time I was contacted by a major publication like the Wall Street Journal about not UB or any poker site. I was contacted about Dan Bilzerian. Yeah. Now what do I have to do with Dan Bilzerian? 
Why would they call me, of all people, about Dan Bilzerian? Well, they Googled Dan Bilzerian, and they found that in 2007, I had told a story that I had played with him at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. And I told a little anecdote about that. So they figured, okay, let's ask this guy. You know, he's been in major publications, like the uh, the Washington Post. He's been on TV talking about poker issues. Let's see what he has to say about Dan Bilzerian. So the reporter called me up. Now, this is what happened at Harvey's Lake Tahoe over seven years ago. This is in January 2007. I was in the poker room, and I was playing 5-10 No Limit. And they were talking about a guy named the Suitcase Guy. The Suitcase Guy was a guy who walked around the hotel carrying a suitcase with $100,000 in it. And they told me he played very wild, and he was a big fish, and blah, blah, blah. So he comes to the game. And at first I'm saying, oh, great, you know, we're going to get some good action here. But he wasn't bad at all. In fact, I wouldn't say he was tight, but um, since the whole table was tight, he was tight too. So he started complaining that there is no action at this table, that he's bored, that he's not going to bet his money if everyone's just sitting here waiting for the nuts to take his money, that he wants us to give action for him to give action. And I understood his point. Uh... My problem was I was just getting awful cards. I couldn't give action if I wanted to unless I was totally bluffing. I was getting like, you know, jack three offsuit every time. The others, I don't know what they were getting, but they were all just very tight. And finally, he got frustrated and, and said he was leaving. I asked him if he wanted to play 100-200 limit heads up. And he told me he wanted to play 100-200 no limit heads up. Now, I had no clue who this guy was. Wasn't going to play this guy 100-200 no limit heads up, nor was I bankrolled at Harvey's Lake Tahoe to play such a game. I only had, I don't know, 10000 bucks on me. So I told him no, and he left. That was it. No big story. Well, it turned out when I saw this guy later, it turned out he was Dan Bilzerian. Nobody knew him at the time in early 2007, but within a short time after that, he got to be pretty well known. And I'm like, oh, that's who that Dan Bilzerian guy is. Like I heard stories about a Dan Bilzerian after that, and then when I saw a picture of him, I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's the suitcase guy. So I posted about this on, on a forum. In fact, I posted it a few times, including Poker Fraud Alert. Uh, this is what the reporter saw and the reason he wanted to contact me. So he had the following questions for me about Dan Bilzerian. Now, by the way, why do you think he's writing about Dan Bilzerian? He's writing about him because Dan Bilzerian's father has been the subject of a number of uh, SEC investigations. His father... It's in a lot of hot water, and there's a lot of suspicions that Dan Bilzerian's father made his money illegally. And the feds have been after his father for a long time, which then raises the question, and that's what the Wall Street Journal is investigating. How is Dan Bilzerian getting all the money that he's spending in gambling? Is it dirty money from his father or is it his own money in some way? Now, Dan Bilzerian is very aware of the fact that this article is being written. Both he and his father voluntarily sat down with this reporter and did lengthy interviews with them. 
which is surprising, but again, not so surprising because Dan Bilzerian is a very outspoken and brash guy and never really seems to act like he has anything to hide. So the reporter had a few questions for me. He asked me, how is Dan Bilzerian viewed in poker? What do poker players think of him in general? I said that Dan Bilzerian is pretty well liked. In fact, there are not any stories I know of about him cheating people or acting in any kind of shady fashion. I also added that some people like his blunt, tell-it-like-it-is sort of attitude. In fact, I do too, to be honest. And others wish they could live his lifestyle. Always partying, always hanging out with beautiful women and gambling millions of dollars. It's pretty much a lot of poker's players' dreams to be Dan Blazarian. He then asked me, does the poker community believe that he made his money through his poker play? I said, nobody believes that. I said, it's assumed that Dan Blazarian came in with some sort of family money. I said, however, he's not regarded as a fish. He's seen as a fairly good player who wants to play big, but not someone who's a huge winner. Not someone who made his fortune in poker. He asked me, do you know anyone who could give insight about Dan's poker results in his earlier days, such as 2007 and 2008? I said that I didn't, and I don't really pay much attention to the games that I don't play. Then he asked me to describe what happened in Lake Tahoe, and I described what I just told you here. I also stated my opinion that Bilzerian was in the right when he sued that movie studio. Some of you might remember that, where Dan donated, or not donated, but he agreed to fund a movie with the sum of, you guessed it, one million dollars. He agreed to fund a movie for a million bucks, and that wasn't its entire funding, but he funded a million bucks toward the movie, with the agreement that they would give him a certain amount of screen time. And it was a very specific contract. It talked about if they did not give him that amount of screen time, um, it broke down. If you give me this much time, then you have to give this much money back. If you give me this much time, you have to give this much back. So it was like this big contract they signed, very clearly stating what happens if he does not have exactly the specified amount of screen time and the penalties that they will suffer for every minute he's cut out, basically. Now, some people criticize Bilzerian, saying, ah, oh, look at the spoiled rich kid who's you know, only donating if he can appear in the money, appear in the movie, and then penalizing them and suing them when they don't do what he wants. Look at this spoiled brat. I don't agree. If you give your own million dollars to a movie studio, and they agree to take it with your condition that you appear in X number of minutes in the movie, then they better keep up to what they promised in the contract. If they didn't like that, they should not have agreed to it, and they should not have taken his money. Once you take you guys' money and make an agreement that you will perform in a certain way as a result of taking his money, then you have to perform. You have to do what you promised, whether you feel personally it's right or wrong. If you felt it was wrong, you shouldn't have agreed. Once you agree, it's too late. So they agreed, and the director decided he didn't like uh, some of Dan's part and cut him out. He wasn't completely cut out, but he was cut out a lot more than... The contract allowed, and Dan sued him to get money back. I don't know how the whole thing ended up. I don't know what the result of the lawsuit was, but I was 100% on his side. And I said to the reporter, not only do I believe Dan was 100% right here, but every time I see he's in some kind of dispute, when I find out more details, he seems to be in the right. 
So personally, even though I don't know where his money came from, and I think there is a fair chance it did come from his dad. In fact, I think there's a high chance it came from his dad. Um, as far as how he's conducted himself in the poker world and as far as how he has uh, conducted himself in incidents I have been witness to or read about, um, other than a bit of a wild lifestyle, the guy seems pretty okay to me. So I was pretty positive about Dan Bilzerian, not because I wanted to impress him or kiss his ass. In fact, I doubt he knows that uh, I was interviewed for this article. He'll probably know when he reads it if I do end up in the article. I will let you guys know if I do end up in the article and where to find it. The reporter said he will contact me about that. But hey, I figured I might as well tell him what I know, state my opinion, and uh, I think it will be very interesting to read what the Wall Street Journal finds out about Dan Bilzerian and the source of his fortune. Though I think a lot of us already have a good idea where it really came from. 775-4855-775-372-8355. Time for the editorial for this evening. The editorial tonight is about beating poker. Something we all want to do. We don't play to lose. Even Guy Le Liberté apparently doesn't like to lose. Nobody likes to lose. When we sit down to the poker table, even if we're a casual player, the goal is almost always to win. Few people sit down to a poker table and say, I don't care if I win or lose. Few people sit down to poker and say, ah, results are, import- are not important. What's important is I'm having fun. Most people want to play to win, even if they're also playing for other reasons. And there's a lot of reasons people play. Sometimes it's ego. Sometimes it's secure boredom. Sometimes it's for the challenge. But they always want to win. But what type of poker can you really beat? And I'm not talking about type as in the variation of poker. I'm not going to discuss which is the easiest game to beat, whether it's uh, limit hold'em, no limit hold'em, mixed games, open face Chinese. That's not what I'm going to talk about here. I'm going to talk about the types that I feel cannot be beat. Type number one, low limit poker. It's going to be disappointing for a lot of you to hear. I got in a debate recently with a casual low-limit poker player I know who insisted that even though he doesn't play that often, that he can pretty much guarantee himself one or two hundred dollars every time he goes to play one, two, no limit in a live setting. (laughs) Furthermore, he says he knows some low limit live pros who make a living, don't make a whole lot of money, but make a living playing one, two, no limit, again, taking home a few hundred dollars each night. Sorry about that. 
That's what I get for trying to take a sip of water. Well, I tried to chug a sip of water <clears throat> while the laughter was going on. <clears throat> and something happened. And it went down the wrong way. This is the hazard of doing a live show. If this were not live, I would just edit this out. But I've decided recently not to really edit out the fail. Like last week, I left the whole fail in with trying to reach uh, Anna Kate on Skype, just because I felt that was part of the show. Anyway, <clears throat> sorry about that. But going on here... Um, I don't feel that Low Limit Poker, live and to some degree online, is beatable. But we're talking more about live right now. The reason is the rake is too damn high. The rake is just too much, especially if you're tipping the dealer. That's another at least dollar every pot you win. Let me explain it this way. There's been a lot of analysis of what is a good win rate in poker. And it has been determined through a lot of very, very detailed analysis, a lot of hands that were entered into a computer, that if you win like seven big bets, or big blinds, sorry, seven big blinds per hundred hands dealt, known as seven BB per hundred, you are a very, very good player. It is very hard to win 7 BB per 100. It can be done. It has been done. But it is very hard to win that on a consistent basis. On a one-time basis, it's easy. But on a consistent basis, when you add up all your results, the winning sessions, the break-even sessions, the losing sessions, it is very hard to average 7 big blinds per 100. It can be done, but it's hard. But let's say... You're averaging seven big blinds per hundred at no at one two no limit. Well, a big blind in one two no limit is two dollars. That means you're winning fourteen dollars at seven times two per hundred hands. But how many hands are you getting in playing live poker? If you're playing live poker one two no limit and winning seven big blinds per hundred, you're not getting a hundred hands in per hour. You're probably getting like thirty three hands per hour. So it's going to take you like three hours on average. To win $14. (laughs) And that's if you're winning seven big blinds per hundred. If you're winning five big blinds per hundred, then it's going to take you three hours to win $10 on average. But even if you're a spectacular player and you're winning 15 big blinds per hundred, well, that's still only about $10 per hour you're making. You could make more than $10 an hour working at In-N-Out Burger. I'm not even kidding. Starting, in fact, at In-N-Out Burger, the lowest position there, you make more than 10 bucks an hour. And that's if you win 15 big blinds per 100. That's how it breaks out. A lot of players don't think of it this way. A lot of them think that if they walk away from a 1-2 no limit game, $300 up, then that means that they could really kill this game in the long term if they played every day. 
but they don't count the times that they break even. They don't count the times that they lose. It's very easy to forget about that. It's very easy to think you're beating the game for obscene sums of money compared to the big blinds when you're running well. Yeah, JSTAT is guessing who I was talking about. <laughs> that is who I was talking about. No one, any of you probably know, or most of you probably know, it's not a poker player, just a casual poker player. But anyway, you can't beat low-limit live poker. Now, online you can because you can play a lot of tables at once. If you 10-table, 1-2, no limit, then yeah, you could make a living from it. But... Uh, Playing slow live poker, you're never going to. And anyone who thinks they're making a living playing 1-2, no limit hold'em, isn't. And you'll see in a few months they're going to be gone. Or they have some money coming in from elsewhere. Maybe their mom is supporting them. Maybe they're dealing drugs on the side. Who knows? Beer and poker saying that a good player will make more than fifty or more than ten dollars an hour playing live one two. I don't know. That would be more than fifteen big blinds per hour, or per, per hundred, not per hour. It is very very hard to win more than fifteen big blinds per hundred. Very hard, and I don't think they're getting more than thirty three hands per hour on average over there. See, you know, a lot of people tank and take a long time between hands playing live. It just the hands move very slowly live. And you obviously can't two-table. So, low-limit poker, whether it's no-limit, whether it's limit, you're not going to beat it for very much money, if at all. In fact, it's very hard to beat at all because the rake is so high. The rake is getting higher and higher. And it just eats into your profit. Now, what about tournaments? Can tournaments be beaten? They can, but there's some very important things to understand. First of all, if you are traveling all over the world to play tournaments, it's fun, it's glamorous, but you're probably not winning. If you're going to play tournaments for a living and travel all over the world to play them, and if you don't have a sponsorship deal where they're covering your expenses to do so, then you are either losing or you're in the very, very, very top of the elite players. But the typical tournament player cannot survive doing that. The expenses are just too high because you have the expenses, which are just crippling, plus the rake. You just can't beat that unless you're one of the very, very, very top elite tournament players. Now, of course, the higher the buy-in, the less the expenses matter. But, of course, the higher the buy-in, usually the tougher the field and the more brutal the variance. So while it's true if you're going to go travel to play a $250,000 high roller tournament, the expenses to go play it aren't going to matter that much, you're also going to be facing very tough competition and the variance is going to be huge because uh, it's a small field and you're not going to get to play that many of them. So tournaments can only be beaten unless you're a 
superb tournament player, which I hate to say it, I don't think describes anyone listening to this show. Maybe one or two people, but it doesn't include me. Like if I if I traveled the world to play tournaments, I would lose. I would. So if you are like me, the only worthwhile tournaments to play are ones you can play with very little expense. The World Series of Poker that I'm going to be playing in a few weeks, I have very little expense. I'm not going to go through the details, but I have very little expense. Not zero expense, but very little. And by the way, I approach these very, very Jewishly. You wouldn't believe how Jewishly I approach these tournaments. (laughs) I do not waste money on anything when it comes to my tournament play. Like, I, I don't deprive myself to where it would affect my tournament. But like, uh, uh, for example, uh, when I see the Gatorade is $6 per bottle, I just say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'll, I'll just drink water. So if you're jealous of these jet setters who are playing tournaments all over the world and thinking they must be making huge money, if only you could be like them, Don't be so jealous. They're probably losing. And I hope they're at least enjoying the destinations they're going to and they're doing more than playing poker. Because if you're not, then you're really wasting your time. At least if you could justify that you're making it like a makeshift vacation, then fine. Then you're combining the expense of the vacation and the tournament. But uh, most of these people traveling the world to play tournaments, the media wants you to believe that they're making all kinds of huge money, but the reality is most of them are losing and these huge travel expenses are going to eat them over time. Expensive hotels, expensive flights, expensive food. Day after day after day after day, believe me, this adds up. So make sure when you are playing whatever form of poker you're playing, that if your goal is to make money, that you're playing something that can be beaten. What can be beaten? Well, mid-stakes games, high-stakes games, tournaments that don't require much outside expense aside from what they take out of the pool. Though, again, be careful with the low-limit tournaments where they take out 20% of the prize pool and where the structure is so terrible that it's mostly luck-based. You're not going to beat those either. The tournaments you are going to beat, if you're a skilled player, are the ones that are less luck-based, that have a, at least a decent structure, and that don't take an obscene amount of rakeout. So at least try to stick to things that you can beat. Unless you're okay just playing for fun. Then don't worry about it. But don't delude yourself into believing that you're going to beat these forms of poker that I just talked about. Because you probably won't. I will take a few questions in the chat room and then I will shut things down for the evening. So, the chat, you can also text me 775 372 8355. Oh my goodness. Somehow I put my phone into airplane mode. No wonder I've gotten no texts. No wonder. I'm not in an airplane here. 
I should do a broadcast from an airplane. Actually, that would drive people crazy. Imagine if I did the show with the Wi-Fi from an airplane, and while I actually could do it, it would drive people nuts sitting next to me. They would hate it. Benford asking in chat, what percentage rake is considered fair or borderline beatable, both cash and tourney? Uh, Well, definitely not 20. You really don't want to see them taking more than 10 unless the field really sucks and the structure is decent enough to where it matters that the field really sucks. So you start seeing 15, 20% come out of the pool, you should just say no. And in cash games, um, when you start seeing things like 4 or $5 rakes in low and mid-limit games, it starts to get very hard to beat them, to be honest, especially the low-limit low games. The rake in these low-limit hold'em games is just brutal. Brutal. The limit hold'em is the worst because at least in no-limit games, you can win a huge pot to where the rake won't be a huge percentage of the pot. But uh, these limit games where you're you're grinding 3-6 limit and they're taking out 3 or 4 bucks every time, it's absolutely awful. And it just keeps going up. I think at the Commerce 4080 game now, they're taking 6 bucks out. Once for a jackpot, but that's a waste. You know, that hardly ever hits. And the casino keeps a lot of that money anyway. So the rake's going up. And you got to take that into account. And definitely never play the games that have a confiscatory rake. Like on a cruise ship, they'll rake up to $25 per pot. Like 10% up to $25. That's awful. So when you see some horrendous rake like that, even if the players are terrible, just stay away. It's very hard to beat. Because there's always still the luck factor. Father's laughing and chatting about 25 bucks. That's really the rake they take on uh, cruise ships. I just saw that when I went on a cruise in December. I walked to the poker table and uh, I see them taking out green ships <laughs> at a 1-2 game. I go, you got to be kidding me. Maybe it was a 2-5 game or whatever. Stats saying $5 rake at 3-6 limit games to the Bay Area. Beer and poker saying some of the home games are even worse than that. It's $25, yeah. I once went to a home game in L.A. When I say a home game, it's like uh, in an office building. It's one of those underground games, not really a home game. But, uh, yeah, the players were pretty damn bad. I was playing 5-10 no limit, and the players really did suck big time. But I won a pretty good-sized pot, and they took a green chip. And dropped it. And I'm like, did you just take a green chip from me? They said, yeah. I'm like, what is the rake here? And they said, oh, it's 10% up to 25. I'm like, all righty. I think I'm going to go home now. And I did. I left. So just be careful when you play that you understand that the lower limit games, that the high rake games, the high rake tournaments, or the Travel-intensive tournaments are probably not beatable for you. 
If you enjoy them, fine, but understand in the long run, they're probably not beatable. A beer and poker thing I hit and ran. I kind of did. Not for that much, though. All right. Any other questions? Lou Father asking, what's the first tournament you're playing this year? That will be, in 19 short days, the Millionaire Maker, probably over 6,000 people at the World Series of Poker. I will be all registered for it before the event starts, so no hassle with a six-hour line or anything like that. I cashed in it last year. And I actually was proud of myself last year for cashing it, cashing in it, because I didn't have good cards at all. I didn't win one big pot. I didn't get in any hands where we got a whole lot of money in and I was the victor. I just kind of slowly grinded myself into surviving through. I wasn't a tight knit or anything. I wasn't trying to be tight or nitty. I just didn't get any opportunities to win big pots, but still I outlasted 90% plus of the field and min cashed. I wasn't shooting for a min cash, but uh, that's where I got. But uh, given the cards I got, I was proud of it because I said, wow, I, I min cashed this thing with really getting no cards. So it left me feeling good about that event in general. I'm not saying I'm going to cash again this year. It's still not an easy thing to do. But uh, it made me feel good. And it's no coincidence that I could do it because the players in that event weren't that good. With 6,000 people entering a $1,500 tournament, you're not going to have a very high percentage of good players there. There just aren't that many good players to enter these things, especially ones that can travel to the World Series. So getting a lot of casual players in that, I think it's a good event to play. And uh, hopefully I do even better this year. That was the first year of the Millionaire Maker, which was a wild success as far as numbers go, a big failure as far as logistics go. They really screwed that one up big time. They had to cancel like four other tournaments uh, because too many people showed up. They made people stand around waiting for the other tournaments that eventually got canceled, like <laughs> like these satellites and other things that people had registered for. They made them stand around for up to three hours only to tell them at the end, sorry, we're canceling it. We don't have room for you. It's a big freaking mess. Very typical of Caesars. But none of it affected me because I was already registered before the day of the tournament. I'm being asked by JSTAT, probably tongue-in-cheek, am I playing the seniors event? Not that old yet, though I'm not that far from it. In eight days, not eight days, eight years, eight days, in eight years, I can play the seniors event. In 2022, I can and will play the seniors event. And in 2032, I might enter an event along with my son, who will be 21. And I'll be 60. But that's pretty far away. You have to be 50 to enter the seniors event. And 
I wish it was higher. I wish it was 60 or 65 because 50 isn't really a senior. And the problem is once you have 50-year-olds in it, it's not really a senior's event anymore. It's like a middle-aged event, a middle-aged and senior's event. And that kind of takes away from what they're trying to have it be. But of course, since Caesars is all about money, all they care about is getting high registration numbers. And if you can enter it at age 50, then you usually do, as I will. So, any other questions? Has baby Benny learned poker yet? No. Though he is aware of what poker is, he doesn't understand it. And he is aware that uh, this radio show that I do is mostly about poker. He's aware of that as well. So, any other questions in the chat room or in text? Let's see if I got any text text message here. Let's see. Did you mention my Joy Miller joke that Dan Bilzerian likes so much to the Wall Street Journal? I'm sorry, I don't remember that joke, bad guy. Otherwise, maybe I would have told him. Caller, you on the air. Hello? Yes. Uh, I've got some serious business to discuss. All right, who's calling? This is Howard. Okay. Um, I would like to talk about Drexel. Yes, go ahead. Um, I am very concerned that he's not been on, and I'm concerned for his well-being. Well, Howard. Tell me anything about him. Yeah, uh, Drexel is fine. Uh, there's really not much to say. Uh, he is staying away from these forums for the most part. He posts occasionally on Poker for Alerts, you may have seen, but he's staying away for the yes. most part because of the drama that ends up surrounding these forums and the psychos and the freaks who end up becoming obsessed with it and start harassing people like me. People like uh, call from unknown Six Toad Pete. Here, let's, let's add another person one. to this call. Send a voicemail. Caller, you're on the air. Is this bad guy? You're damn right. No, Who's this fucking Howard? For? Hey, Howard, shut the fuck up, you fucking flaming faggot. Hey, hey, hey. Don't hey, be hey. calling here. No, no, don't be Hold mean. On, don't... Come on, don't be mean to Howard here. Wait. That's not nice. Hey, bro, Jacques, quit trying to impress your fucking rich Hey, you know what? Fuck you, bad guy. I got a fucking, I got a bone to pick with you, fucking kid. I don't want to suck Drexel's dick. He hasn't been here for 10 years. Shut the fuck up, you fucking You want to suck Drexel's dick? Are you a faggot? Mom, you fucking cunt. I'll fucking fucking slice her fucking throat, you fucking pussy. Shut the fuck up. Hang up on this motherfucker. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to see you at the very soon in fucking movie Hold on, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy, I think you're going to get the residential neighborhood. I'll tell you up in my showroom that pieces and put you in a fucking trash bag. Everybody's got to calm down here. Shut this fucking piece Okay, hold on, hold on. Everybody's got to calm down here. Now, bad guy, you're probably upsetting the entire residential neighborhood with this type of language. 
Hey, bro, don't worry about it. I've been in and out of jail the last fucking few months. Shut the fuck up. Get this faggot off. Uh, you're you a real stand-up citizen, aren't you? Why don't you go back to fucking Bro, when you talk to me, fucking pipe it down, you faggot, so I can understand you. You know what? Okay, it. I'm sorry. When you it's when you talk to me, don't talk to me in that, in that in that reference and tell me to suck my own fucking dick, you faggot. How about this? How about this? big black pipe in your fucking ass in prison. Shut the fuck up, faggot, and put your real name out there, you fucking pussy, before you fucking That is my real fucking name, you faggot. What about bad guy 23? Is that your real fucking name? Fuck your fucking sister, you cunt. Okay, so Howard, hold on. You know, bad guy does raise a point here. Howard, uh, I've never heard of you before. Do you post on the forum? Right. Yes, I do. What is your name on the forum? Howard. I've never seen a Howard on the forum. Hang up on this. Are you going to keep doing this guy some airtime, man, for real? (laughs) I have to say, bad guy guy is uh, raising some uh, important issues here. I, I... All I called was race concern about drug okay. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, bad guy. Do you have a problem with Drexel? Bro, is is that the real issue? And I know I drank more than you. Shut the fuck up, you mumbling fucking faggot. You know what? Go back to prison and take that black fucking no, no, cock, no, no, all right? That's all I have to say. Go back to killing girls. I mean, don't you got anything original, you fucking faggot, that you ain't read? I'll fucking shoot your fucking mouth, whore. Okay, okay. I think we've had enough of that. I think we've had enough of that here. You're scar- we're scaring well, all the listeners here. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skull fuck you. Whenever I find out you die you're in prison, all right? Fuck me, that's what I have to say. Old. Girl, he might be older than you with that reference. You're going to skull fuck me? Okay, let's let's calm down a second yeah, here. Howard, Howard, thank you for calling. I hope I – hold up. Bad guy, bad guy. you got to be quiet while I say this here. Howard, thank you. Right, ahead, th- thank you for calling. Uh, I hope I've answered your question about Drexel, and uh, I'm sure you didn't. Well, expect- I, I, I mean, I, you kind of answered my question. However, we got interrupted by bad guy. You know, bad guy, no hard feelings, but I don't like to be cursed at either. Okay, thank you, Howard. All right, so I, I've dropped Howard off just to keep some peace on this show. Bad guy, uh, what do you have tonight, other than the? Uh, Cursing our other callers. What are you callers. talking about, man? I have Casey Kasem this one. Maybe I kidnapped him. <laughs> Maybe I mean, you did. Do you really think he's for real? He's fucking busting your balls. Dude. No, you, you might be. Know it. You're losing it. No, no, I know. I know most of the calls here are busting my balls, including you. So what's going on? No, what do you mean, man? I'm just, I'm busting your. What do you mean? I'm busting your balls. I've been with you for seven years in this fucking place. Nothing, okay. Nothing's going on, man. What's going on with you? Well, I, I, I thought you were calling. You haven't called in for a well, while. I, I thought maybe up. you had some new stuff. Why have you been in jail the last few months? No, I went to jail again, man. They fucking came and got me on Selection Sunday for the child support shit again. I was there for five days. They tried to pull me away for six months. Oh, jeez. I fucking paid this shit, and they could suck my cock. So and okay. I'm out. Okay, uh, and have <laughs> you have you seen Josie recently? Come on, man. Fuck that whore. I don't fucking talk to no whores, man. I, mean, I don't talk to that whore, no. You know, Josie fuck disappeared. Josie, fuck them all. She, she disappeared on us once she got a boyfriend. She got a boyfriend, she's just gone. All right. I told you that the last time I was on the show, but the fucking phones went crazy and shit. I mean, what? Dude, Josie's a fucking fake. It's like I stole Vikings, dude. I don't take fucking pills. I drink. Well, you, you, outlasted, you outlasted her here. She's gone and you're still here, so. You know, bad guys kind of like... I told, wait, I told you that the whole fucking time when she was busting my balls. Now, dude, my old man, who I don't even fucking like, and I'll tell you that straight up. 
you can get his Italian fucking uh, pepper recipe on a fucking line. But he, I get some dude from his work, <laughs> Google with the fucking my name. He's fucking going crazy to my sister because all that Josie shit came up about being a drug addict, which I don't give a fuck. Keep it up for I love it. I mean, I don't give a fuck. That's why, Howard, say your real name, you fucking Canadian faggot. Okay, so... Anyway, Joe, I'm sorry to swear like this on a serious show, but, man, we need some of this sometimes, man. The fun's all gone in the show. Okay, well, bad guy, are you going to come to Vegas for the World Series this year? Every summer you say you're coming and then you don't come. <laughs> no, I, I'm not... Hey, bro, I got a fucking... I could come if I really wanted to, to be honest with you, but... I don't know, bro. I got another fucking issue going on here, man. I mean, you don't even know it yet. But you just will know it. It's just going to take me to get a little bit more whiskey in me. And I'll tell you one night. But, I mean, it's just another whole fucking story. I'll be paying child support till I'm fucking dead. Put it that way. Put them up, guys. (laughs) Hey, guess what? Where the fuck is Rosa, man? Where's Rosa? I mean, we got to get Grandma Rosa back on the show. We We should get Grandma Rosa back on the show. How old is Rosa? No, Rosa's doing good, man. She's back home. How old is Rosa now? Is she like 95? 92. No, 92. 92. Okay. That's a pretty 92, old. 92, man. Yeah, she sounded good for 92. She sounded very lucid. Oh, she's smart, man. Her fucking one sister, dude, she's dying of dementia, man. She can't fucking... I mean, she don't know if she's coming or... Aunt Francie is other than She don't know if she's coming or going, bro. I mean, for real. And it's a shame because she was the sharpest one of the bunch, if you ask me. But, I mean, just like that, it just, boom, took over. So, I mean, it's, I mean, they're all getting old, but Rosa's got her fucking facts. Rosa's got her faculties more than I do. <laughs> I mean, that's no lie, bro. Yeah, that's good. But, anyway, I called the bus, I called the bus towers, but I was calling them out of work the end, man. That's so, good. It's, a, we, it's been a while since we've heard from you. Brother. Yeah, it's been a while. See, I, I wonder sometimes, where does bad guy go? He just disappears. Well, I was on chat last week. I was in chat last that week. That is true. You were in chat. So this is the I'm last... I'm always here. I, hey, if I don't catch it live, man, I catch it. Because you switch the fucking dates all the time. If I don't catch it live, you know I always listen to it on the fucking replay, man. I always do. I always listen to your guys. Yeah, you know, it I is like it. It is. It is tough with the dates switching around. I, I, I've tried not to do it. It's just been tough. And uh, I, I went and looked at the shows we've had this year, and I see we've only had 16 episodes by mid-May, and then we're not having one next week. It makes me kind of feel bad. But, you know, I, I had some things happen this year. I broke my ribs. I, I got sick. You know, I missed shows for other reasons. So what can I do? No, bro, you, you're – hey, you're dedicated, man. I mean, we all appreciate it. And I hope you do good in the World Series. I don't talk to you before you start it, but I will probably. Oh, thank you. So, you know, I'll, I'll you one more show before I start. I'll sweat you again like I did last year, man, and fucking if you, if you get on the final table or the fuck ever, I can see it online. If I, I mean, if I come to Vegas, man, I might have to kill Seriously Serious. I don't want to fucking no, go to jail anymore. We don't want to kill Seriously Serious. <laughs> seriously Serious is a, around, uh, he's a, a, nas- uh, a he's a national treasure in the poker community. We can't kill him. No, I know. Right. I'll get killed. Okay. Anyway, love the show. Keep up the fucking good work. And Lou Father, shut the fuck up, bro. You sound like you're three years old. You can't get on the fucking Ferris, the Ferris wheel at your local fire department fucking fair, bro. I'm just busting. He does sound young. I think that was Lou Father's cousin that was on there, Howard, man. Okay. All right, thank Third you, man. Lou Father does sound young. Doesn't he sound like a young kid? Oh, he does have a young-sounding voice, yeah, but that's just the way it is. In fact... No, I, I know he's not. He knows I know he's not. No, you, know what's, you know what's funny? I, I sound almost identical to how I sounded 25 years ago. 
So 25 years ago, everyone thought I was old for like they thought I was an older guy when I would call people. Like I talked to girls like off party lines that they didn't believe I was 17. And uh, and then as the years changed, as the years passed, and I got older, I actually aged into my voice. And now I actually think I don't know how old I sound now, but I think now I sound a little bit younger, not way younger, but a little bit younger. Yeah. Than, than what my I actual think the reason is. I start listening to this radio show is because you, like, you sound like a freaking somebody that should be on radio, man. Like, you're real believable. Oh, thank you. Like, I'm serious, man. Like, no, I mean, like, yeah, I told you this before, man. Like, you have a voice for radio. You do it good. I mean, you you, you could be on the motherfucker. You could take Casey Casey's place, man. I mean, I don't <laughs> know about this jockey, but, like, talk radio, I think you could definitely do that. I listen. At least I, at least I know my I do. at least I know my ratings will not be zero. At least I know there'll be one. Right, you have me. That's real good. As long as there's an affiliate in Pittsburgh. Okay, uh, bad guy. Thank you for calling right, man, in and checking care, in, and uh, good to hear from you. You too, man. Take care. Bye. So that was a uh, bad guy checking in again. You have to kind of understand this show to understand bad guy. Some people, you know, wonder why we have him on here and. How does he fit in with a poker fraud alert show? You, you just kind of have to listen to understand. Bad guy is kind of the uh, comic relief character of this show. And you need that. You need that because this show, it's not always a serious show. Even though we have serious topics. It's, uh, it's not always a serious show. Well, what is serious is the fact that I won't be back for another 16 days on this radio show and I, I feel bad about that I really would like that uh, I'd like to not have that be the case but sometimes things come up in real life and I can't make the show that it's going to happen next week and even the following week I will not be available until Wednesday so I'll be back on Wednesday May 28th just three days after that I will be playing the Millionaire Maker event of which I believe 42% of me is owned by listeners to this show. So I'm going to try very hard for you guys to get it done, get some money in your pockets like I did for you last year in the 5K limit and the Millionaire Maker. And I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to the World Series. And I'm going to try... Not to let it affect me as much emotionally when I lose. Like what happened at the main event last year. Because I, I just hate to lose. And, uh, sometimes I, I think... I take it a bit too seriously. But in a way that's good because you know I'm taking the tournament seriously. You know I'm not just... Uh, blowing it off or not trying. But I'll never cry at the poker table. Don't worry. I'm never going to be one of those guys. So, May 28th at 6.30 p.m. or thereabouts is our next show. We should have a pretty solid and regular schedule in June, unless I make it pretty deep in some events, which I hope I do. Until then, thank you for listening, and I will see you all on May 28th for our next episode. Good night, and shalom.